Life's not fair, is it, my little friend? While some are born to feast, others spend their lives in the dark. Begging for scraps. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. While others search for what they can take, a true king searches for what he can give. Run away, Simba. And never return. <laughs> Take your place in the circle of life. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies, all for you. Greetings and Hakuna Matata to everyone, and welcome back to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, also known as the IPC, and we're broadcasting live right here on channel 1138.com and also coming to you through the power of Apple Podcast, I think that's what it's called nowadays, and Google Play, and however you listen to podcasts, we don't care. As long as you're listening and you're supporting us, we love you, and we've got another amazing episode for you guys tonight. As you heard off the top, we're going to be discussing not the old Lion King, the 1984 Lion King. We did that last week. We're going to be discussing basically the same movie <laughs> over again. Um, but it's CGI now. So, yeah, the 2019 The Lion King is here. It came out last week, and we're going to break it all down and share our thoughts, which will be, I think, interesting. I think the opinions have kind of been all over the place with this movie, and I think we'll reflect that tonight. But, yeah, we'll get into that in a few moments. But, of course, introductions are in order if you are new to the program or just have no idea what's going on and who we are. My name is Ben, and joining me, as he always does, it is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Arnold. How's it going, Zach? The Timon to my Pumba. It's good to be back again, friend. Uh, I'm actually Brilliant. I'm actually kind of intrigued by how tonight's going to play out, because I went and saw this movie again for a second time last night, 
and actually kind of experienced something a little different than I did the first time I watched it. So uh, I can't help but wonder if this film is one of those that you kind of experience new things every time you watch it. And uh, maybe that will end up influencing the longevity of this film, not just its instant reception. And uh, I'm excited that we get to talk about that among many, many other aspects that this film has to offer all in the next couple hours. It's going to be fun. Absolutely. And also joining us is my other co-host and good friend, Jake Damon. Jake, what's going on with you? I really wish we were talking about the original Lion King again. That's all I'm gonna oh, say. Boy. We 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 did that last week though. Like we kind of moved I, on. At some I'm point. fine. You know what? I, we might as well just have the exact same conversation about that because retreading old ground w- it, for that movie would be a lot better than just retreading old ground and making it, making it CG. Oh, wow. wow! What, what a, gonna a what gonna be a, a lot of hot takes on this one. Oh, I, I'm ready to spill the beans on what I think about this movie, guys. How's it going? I'm. Uh, I've had a long day. I've had a hard day. I've had an off day, um, and I've had to think about this film the entire day, and uh, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> what does this sound like here? <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> wow, you had that already. <laughs> I actually had to do a quick search for it just to make sure, but I was what? like, yeah. Dude, you forgot we have sound effects on this show. You did not. You did not know that there's sound effects, dude. <laughs> oh man, bro, I got, I got, I got all kinds of stuff on here. Like if, if, uh, if we're doing a top five, I've got a, I've got like the intro to Sh- to Schindler's List for when Stephen Schindler sends us his list, and then mm-hmm. uh, if we just need a musical interlude, I got you covered for that too. That's not, G. That that's not I the love that saxophone. That's not the only uh little little surprise that I got for us in store for tonight, but uh if you're if you're gonna be a I'm troll scared. if you're gonna be a troll, I'm gonna be ready. I'm gonna I'm gonna I've got all these instant buttons just raring at the raring to go. Well, I'll say this. I'm not looking to be a troll tonight. I'm I'm literally just gonna give my honest thoughts about the movie. This is gonna be Jake Damon the whole rest of the night, folks. <laughs> You you may not be far off. <laughs> well, before we get too deep into that, let's discuss some of the stuff that dropped at San Diego Comic-Con over the previous weekend. We talked about yeah. a little bit of it, or at least some of the anticipation of it, during last week's episode, but a lot of it dropped uh, the following day, that Saturday, including the information for the entire fourth phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, including original content that's going to be exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Guys, there is a ton of stuff that is happening over the next, what is it, two years? I'm really surprised that they're squeezing all All the way through to 2021, the end of 2021. Yeah, the end of 2021, so So it's like two and a half years, and there's three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten pieces of content happening over the next two and a half years. Let me just kind of let me just kind of lay it out for you, and then we can talk about what we're most excited for. May of 2020, we're getting a Black Widow movie. Fall of 2020, we're getting the Disney Plus original, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. 
November of 2020, Marvel's Eternals. February of 2021, we're getting Shang-Chi. In spring, quote-unquote spring of 2021, they're releasing WandaVision. May of 21, we're getting Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is going to feature Wanda Maximoff slash Scarlet mm-hmm. Witch. Spring of 21, we're getting the Loki series on Disney+. Plus. Summer of 21, we're getting Marvel Studios' What If, also a Disney Plus original. Fall of 21, they're releasing a Hawkeye original series. And then November 5th of 2021, we are getting Thor Love and Thunder. So, yes, two and a half years, ten pieces of content, one, two, three, four, five of them going to be exclusively on Disney+. Plus. So, if you don't have Disney+, Plus, you are going to be missing out on half of Phase 4 of the MCU. Yep. I love that they're considering they're, this is all just one big picture. They're not like... Oh, here's the TV shows, here's the movies. It's these shows on Disney Plus are just as big of a part of Phase Four as you know the films, and even like even down to like WandaVision is supposed to directly tie in with Doctor Strange, the yeah. sequel in the Multiverse of Madness, which is an amazing title, and just I think this is really amazing. I think Disney Plus, just for the record here. They just announced today, I think, that Hulu, which I have Hulu, you can actually get an add-on to get Disney Plus. So they're 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 kind of linking those two together. So you'll probably be, um, you know, be able to get it a bit easier. Still, no word on like when people in the rest of the world are going to be getting it, like Europe and you know Asia and stuff like that, because that's weird. Well, <laughs> I mean, doesn't Disney have a controlling interest in Hulu? So that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think they officially own it now. Um, so essentially you're going to have Hulu and Disney plus kind of as these two branches of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, what I love about this announcement is that we are getting a ton of content. Like if you think about, about the slate, half of them are these Disney plus shows and each of those are going to be like eight to 10 hours, you know? So it's like an eight to 10 hour movie each. And this is also the shortest phase, uh, time-wise. So it only spans 2020 to 2021. So that's two years. So we're getting the most amount of content we've ever gotten in the MCU in the shortest amount of time. Yeah, Kevin Feige did confirm that this is the entirety of Phase Four. This is yeah. all you're getting. But as you said, like it's a pretty short phase. Like it feels like we we were in season in Phase Three and Phase Two forever. And right. now we're transitioning, you know, Spider-Man Far From Home was the official last part of, of Phase 3. And that's in the Phase 4. That still feels a little weird to me because I feel like Endgame would have been such a perfect ending to the Infinity Saga for, you know, a lot of reasons. And it feels like Spider-Man is just tacked on to the end there. But it, it does make a little bit of sense if you think about it. I mean, Spider-Man is almost like the epilogue, if you will, because the sure. the... The situation isn't as drastic as Endgame, for sure, and the the outcome is probably a little bit more compact, even though a lot of the stuff happens in various parts of Europe. It's still it's still kind of like a regional thing instead of a worldwide thing, and so it's it's not as grand a scale, but it still deals with like the impact and the repercussions of somebody who knew Tony personally, so... I, I tend to see Far From Home as more like an epilogue to that phase than in like a, a the final installment because if 
if that's the way it really is ending, then yeah, I'm disappointed too. But I just can't help but look at Endgame as the conclusion to everything. And then, you know, Spider-Man was just one of those things that's like, oh, here's one character that's dealing with the aftermath of the conclusion of that phase. Right. I have. I feel like, I don't know if this is official or not, but I feel like it's not only considered part of phase three, but it also is con- considered part of the quote-unquote Infinity Saga, which is the, you know, from Iron Man to then talking about the Infinity which is also makes sense, I think, in especially in regards to, like, how long of a film arc that is. Like, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have the big finale. You have the climax, which is Endgame, and then kind of a epilogue type of scenario with you know, Endgame and Far From Home, even though it is about Spider-Man coming into his own and, and being his own character, it also is about you know, Iron Man and, and his impact on the world still because, you know, he he screwed over some people when he was alive and he's dead now, but they still still are pissed at him. So mm-hmm. that's a thing. But, okay, so which of these, I'll go to you, Jake, first. Which of these are you most excited for? I It's really hard to decide. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose a movie and I'm going to choose a show. So that's breaking the rules, but okay, go sorry. ahead. <laughs> I'm going rogue here. No, so for the movie I'm most excited about, I think I'm going to say Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings because mm-hmm. it's kind of the first, besides Eternals, it's like the first super different MCU movie we've gotten. Um, even Eternals is going to, you know, probably take place on another planet somewhere in space. It's gonna fall under the category of like a cosmic uh mcu film which we've had before you know um but shang chi is very different and it's it's gonna be mostly martial arts centered and we're gonna have a uh, mostly asian cast which is very cool and mm-hmm. and the legend of the ten rings anybody that's been following the mcu knows that the ten rings has been there since the beginning that's the terrorist organization that uh, uh, kept Tony Stark hostage in the first place. Um, we hear about the Mandarin in uh, Iron Man three, who turns out to be a an actor <laughs> named Trevor. Um, but there's a cool one shot that goes along with that that uh, where we find out that now the Mandarin actually does exist and he's out there somewhere. And this movie, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, is going to delve into the Mandarin and what who he really is. So that's, I think, going to be really cool. Um, and then for my show, I got to say Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I love the dynamic between Bucky and, um, uh, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, Sam. Sam Wilson. Mm-hmm. Good job. Thank you. Uh I I love their friendship. I really like how naturally, uh, you know, each one of them was shown to be Steve Rogers' friend, and then they met through Captain America, uh, and, you know, they didn't like each other at first, and now they're buddies, you know, and now that Captain America isn't in the picture, Falcon has now taken up the mantle of uh, that shield and is presumably the new Captain America, and Bucky is on the straight and narrow now he's not crazy like he was before mind controlled as far as we know um but this is also bringing back baron zemo who is one of my favorite mcu villains he's very underrated 
I've even heard people say that he was one of the weaker villains, and I just I don't agree with that whatsoever. Um, and, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, in the comics, Zemo had like a, a purple mask on. He had a whole backstory and stuff uh, with that mask, and and it looks like they're bringing it bringing it into the show. There was some concept art that was released that showed a version of like what his suit could look like in the mcu and this was done a couple years ago and i've always loved it and was very pleased to see that they're it looks like they're going based on that so yeah that's the that's thing i also like the idea that like maybe i I just get this impression from the the ways that anthony mackie and sebastian stan behaved on stage and what they were kind of saying i feel like Anthony, I mean, Sam Wilson may not totally, like, be into or maybe have a whole lot of confidence in himself in regards to, like, being Captain America. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying he's going to try to push it off on Bucky, but it could be a situation where he ends up, you know, saying, hey, maybe you're the best person for the job, or, or maybe, you know, Bucky should be, maybe he thinks that he's not worthy of it or whatever. I think that would be interesting dynamic to have those two characters, which... Really, they don't have a whole lot of play together in the MCU so far, and you get to almost to Civil War where they're they're kind of at each other's throats a bit um, with yeah. the uh, "I hate you" and all this kind of stuff. Will you move your seat up? No. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a there's there's a little bit of a uh, fiend friend thing going on there. Exactly. So I would love to see that explored more, and you know, Sam trying to come into his own as captain america and dealing with that and bucky he was probably still dealing with a lot of stuff after the whole hydra thing so yeah i can't wait for that too um i'm gonna say one more thing i'm really excited about just the prospect of a disney show like a marvel Studios show because all we've gotten in the way of mcu related uh shows in the past have been like agents of shield at least at the beginning um and then the netflix marvel shows which have now been canceled unfortunately but that was some good content so this this is going to be you know really new stuff this is the first batch of stuff coming out on this new disney plus platform which you know who knows what the quality is going to be like i know that they've got a lot of money going into it obviously because you know it's disney um and it seems like there's a lot of talent behind it, so I've I have high hopes, and I'm interested to see how it's going to differ in tone from something like you know Daredevil or or Luke Cage or what what have you. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting thing. I feel like these things are going to be look like movies, basically. Yeah, the, I hope so. The the Netflix series were incredible quality, but they still were obviously lower budget. You know, meant to be TV shows. So right. I'm curious how they're going to look. But uh, Zach, you gotta. A movie and a show. Ugh. Which one? Which are you picking? Uh, you know what? I'm. Hmm. I don't. Hmm. I don't know if I have a show that I'm really excited for. If I'm being totally honest, uh, Marvel's What If is kind of so-so for me. Hawkeye, if I'm being totally honest, feels completely unnecessary. <laughs> Loki, I'm only intrigued if you're actually looking at the stuff that happens in the alternate universe where he escapes with the Tesseract. Anything else is not a story that I feel like is worth telling. So I, I'm just I'm very conflicted yeah. on on which ones I'm actually interested in seeing. I mean, I'm kind of with you on exploring the dynamic of Falcon and Winter Soldier, Jake, but I feel like that could be told in a movie. Doesn't necessarily have to be told in a TV series. They're just choosing to put it in that format. I, I'm just, I'm not as, 
on board with the TV shows as I thought I would be. I, I'll still be watching them because I'm still getting Disney Plus, but I'm more or less getting Disney Plus for The Mandalorian, not for any of these series. But if I had to pick yeah. a, a movie that I was excited for, I I don't think it's any question that it would be Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, I, yep. I loved Ragnarok. I loved the mm-hmm. chemistry between Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. Uh, I loved how adventurous it was and how funny it was. Like, Thor really came into himself as a character in this movie. He had some moments in Avengers films, and there was some good content in the previous two films that you could kind of pick out if you wanted to. But it was like Ragnarok was his defining moment. And so to yeah. have a to have a Thor sequel uh, coming out like in the immediate next phase, that's like on par with when you did like Iron Man and Iron Man Two in the same phase or something like that. Like these are just really really important to the franchise right now these are the ones that are kind of helping carry everything else into the future and uh oh yeah we're also getting um female four that's kind of a big deal right like natalie portman returning to the franchise was probably one of the biggest surprises of the weekend for me because i thought she was done with the mcu you know i i thought Okay, they're borrowing content that they recorded and just didn't publish from uh, from Thor 2 and put it in Endgame. Like, she wasn't actually there. And, you know, even in Avengers, they just kind of made this thing up. It's like, oh, we called her away off, off, uh, off world or off the continent. She's safe. She's away <laughs> from New York. It's like, it was just a big cop-out. Like, they didn't, it didn't seem like Jane was really going anywhere in the franchise. And now they're bringing her back in one of the most emphatic fashions possible. November of 2021 is now a highlight on my calendar. I'm really looking forward to seeing how all that plays out and how it fits into the MCU as a whole. It should be exciting. Can I, can I just say that um, now that Captain America is kind of out of the picture for the most part, I think Thor is now my favorite Avenger. And I wouldn't have said that back in 2011 when the first Thor came out. I liked nope. that movie a lot. I really did. Um, it was a great fish out of water story. Actually, I really loved the movie. Honestly, I thought it was a great introduction to Thor. But as soon as Ragnarok hit and Taika Waititi took over, it was a real tone shift for Thor, and he's carried that through through you know Infinity War and Endgame. He's just had a lot of great moments since Ragnarok, and I think Ragnarok was like his defining, like you said, Zach, it was like his, it was really him coming into himself, you know, and now I think he's my favorite Avenger, and um, I, I just realized this, I think Thor, if I'm not mistaken, I'll have to look at the other slides, but is Thor the only uh, solo Avenger to have a movie in every phase? He could be. I think that's true. He's he's the he's the first Avenger or, or any character in this universe to have a fourth film. Right. That's crazy. Well, I think he deserves it. So let me see. He's got one in Marvel's Avengers. He's got the Dark World in Phase Two. Where does where does Phase Two end and Phase Three begin? Is it Civil War where it finishes? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think Ant Man was last. Ant-Man was the last part of Phase 2, and then Phase 3 starts with Civil War? Yeah, something like that. Good grief. Phase 3 has a ton of movies. Right. But yeah, he, he's he got he's got a film in each one of the phases. That is correct. That's cool. 
That's that's pretty crazy. I mean, I I really thought so. It's like, it's like Iron Man kind of kicked things off. Obviously, you you've got you got his first uh, two movies in the in the first phase, and then Iron Man three comes directly after the Avengers. But then after that, it's like Captain America kind of picks things up and carries it for a while with Winter Soldier, Civil War, that kind of thing. And now we've got Ragnarok and Infinity War and Endgame and now Love and Thunder where Thor is kind of carrying things. So it's like the original Avengers still have an influence in this universe, Mm -hmm. but it's like each one is kind of carrying the franchise at a different point in the in the series. Yeah. Right. and and getting back to Jane, like, that was nuts. Like, just the thought of Natalie Portman coming back to these films never crossed my mind that it would actually happen. No, like, me neither. It really, it, it was, it was funny as, like, when they announced the cast for the What If series, which happened earlier on, I was like, oh, Natalie Portman's in this. Like, how did they get her back? Like, there's, there's no way, like, you know, obviously it's a voice. And then when they started talking about, oh, she came in and did, like, ADR for Endgame. I was like, wow, they got her back to do that? Like, that was weird. And then she showed up at the premiere and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, she's more involved than normal, this yeah. thing. You, you, usually she's uh, very standoffish with Marvel. Understandably, Jane <laughs> was never that fantastic of a character, and they really didn't do a whole lot with her. And yeah, Dark World probably wasn't that great of a movie. And so I understand why she walked away, but now... It's so great to have her back and to have, you know, I don't know what they're going to do with it. I don't know what's going to entail And as far as, like, you know, I don't think she's going to be taking over as Thor. I feel like Hemsworth really wants to keep doing it. But just the idea of bringing Jane back, giving her the hammer or whatever she's going to have, reforging a new hammer, and her having the power of Thor is just, it's an amazing concept. So I, I, I agree. I cannot wait. And also... Thor Love and Thunder is one of the best movie titles I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yep. I'm just here for a recreation of the parody comic that has been viral on the internet the last couple of years where female Thor taps Mjolnir onto Thor's chest and says, Calm thine tits. <laughs> <laughs> if that doesn't happen in Love and Thunder, I'm rioting and walking out. I hope fair it enough. happens. That is absolutely fair because that has to happen. Oh, jeez, yeah. There's so many, there's so many. I just what Taika Waititi did with Ragnarok and interplay between the characters, and you know, it was going to be disappointing not having Loki. I'm not so sure. I am not so sure that Loki's not going to show up in this one. I have a feeling that Loki, the series, even though it's set in technically an alternate dimension will lead to him being alive again somehow. I'm sure um, he'll make a cameo for sure. Like L- Loki's just the character. Like he that's 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 his shtick now that he just doesn't die. Yeah. Like they you know literally they kill him off. Oh, he's dead for real, but no they bring him back in the next movie and then he escapes. So he's not dead. So yeah. that's just the whole thing. Loki's but for my not picks dead. he's surely alive. I mean, roaring like a lion. Yeah, sorry. I was I thinking lo- like he's he's living in an alternate dimension or something. <laughs> wow. <laughs> roaring like Mufasa. <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. We're about to be there. But your picks, Ben. We we, we saved the best for last. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see. But 
Well, I think they're the best. I for one, first off, my show I think is is one division. Hey, yeah. I really like I I like all the concepts for these shows. I'm not super thrilled about really any of them, but I'm intrigued by one division. Vision being one of my favorite favorite characters, the fact that he's somehow going to be back in some way. Um, I just a whole thing with like how trippy this is going to be and going into the multiverse. I I love the idea, and having those two actors back, of course, Paul Bettany and and uh, and what's her name? I'm I'm forgetting her name. Wanda Maximoff. That's the character's name. I'm going with that. <laughs> Good job. They were up on stage. And, I know the answer, uh, but I like seeing you struggle. <laughs> well, thank you very much, your true friend, exactly. true, true podcasting mate, true podcasting mate. Hey, when you've, been, at it, those when you've been out of her five years, you got to mix it up a little bit. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But the whole thing that really intrigues me about this is the fact that WandaVision ties, as I said, directly into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And that intrigues me to no end. And that's probably my peak interest on this list is just because I like I was with most everyone on Doctor Strange the first movie like it, it was okay it was fine mm-hmm. I wasn't overly thrilled with it um I think the idea that this is going to be somehow a still PG-13 but the first scary horror film in the MCU oh, yeah. and just going towards in one direction I think the MCU could really benefit from leaning into certain genres. And going, okay, we're going to do a horror movie. We're going to do a whatever. They've done the, you know, spy thriller with Winter Soldier. I love that they're doing a horror. Even though I'm not a big horror fan, but, like, I just love the idea of a, like, what's it going to be? And they're talking about how Doctor Strange at this point is pretty high and mighty. He's coming off of Endgame. You know, he kind of saved the day and helped out a lot, and they're going to kind of tear him down in this one. And he's going to be with Wanda. And throughout both of these projects, you're going to see, apparently, Scarlet Witch, the true Scarlet Witch, come through. Um, which I don't even know what that means. But that's going to be interesting. I just, I, That's a insanely powerful character, as you saw in the last two films. So, like, what they're going to do. And being that the power sets that Wanda and Steven have, like, what yeah. they can do with that is going to be amazing. Yep. Yeah, guaranteed... This type of horror is going to be way better than the horror I saw a week ago. Uh, as long as it's better than Crawl, I'll be happy. <laughs> um, oh really? Oh, oh really? I want to mention. Oh, go ahead. I just I'm, I'm sixty second tangent on how bad that movie was. <laughs> because I live I live for bad movies. Okay. That one was so bad, and it had so many tropey horror cliches in it. I took an eight-ounce flask into that movie theater. (laughs) And every time a cliche happened, I did one of those salute kind of things up in the air and took a sip. By the time that movie was over, the flask was empty. Dude, you were having a drinking game with yourself. Yes, because everything I saw from the trailers looked bad. And the only thing that I could say was mildly impressive was the CGI of the actual alligators. The acting was poor. The writing was poor. The set design was poor. The tropes were predictable. Everything about it was just... It, it wasn't as bad as Zombies, but it was pretty bad. 
Um, the biggest thing that I've heard about that movie is I watched a couple reviews and someone pointed out the fact that part of the movie is someone trapped in a basement. Yep. In Florida during a hurricane. Yep. And if you know about Florida, um, they ain't got no basements down there. All right. Uh, that, it's, that, it's, that, not, that don't work. it's not exactly a basement. It's more like a flooding crawl space. I mean, that's what it would be normally speaking. It doesn't take a hurricane to flood a basement in the south because they don't work. Right. <laughs> right. So why anybody would be down there during a hurricane is a logical fallacy to begin with. <laughs> it's it's science. science. Terrible movie. Terrible movie. Science. The only way you can you can mildly enjoy it, I think I bumped it from a 6 to a 7 out of 10 because my drinking game actually made me enjoy the film a little bit. <laughs> oh, no. Alcohol will do that to you. I enjoyed... I, okay, so I got to give a big shout-out to our buddy Armando. He uh, he drove me home after that. I took an Uber to the movie theater because I pre-gamed with two shots of rum. And <laughs> then I ended up having, I don't know, six, seven ounces of whiskey while I was there. And so I was pretty liquored up by the end of the film. But he was he was an awesome dude, and I paid for his gas, and he drove me home after the movie. So uh, that's what friends are for. So you can go have a drinking game, and then they drive you home afterwards and go sleep it off. You're a saint, Mondo. Mondo is the best. Did I, yeah, you've all heard the story about how he saved my life when I thing. He like he he just like I showed up to Texas. I was sick, and the guy just like oh, and then he just he just like took care of me the entire time. He turned into my mom. Like <laughs> the dude's just the best. He is an awesome individual, and sure? I can't wait to go see another movie with him because I promised him next bad movie we go see, I'm driving you home. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, before before we move on, sometimes I like to give a little bit of insight into the uh, design world because things pop up, and I'm like, hey, that's cool about this logo. I like this logo. Yeah, and you yeah. are a, an artist and a graphic designer. There, exactly. There you go. So the WandaVision logo came up and I thought it was really interesting because uh, if you look at the eye of vision, there's like, or the second eye, I should say, cause there's two eyes of vision. Um, there, there's like little static bolts coming off of the dot on the eye. And uh-huh. I looked really close and the top set of bolts, it looks like it's one bolt, but it's in the shape of an M and it looked really familiar and when i looked at the comic version of scarlet witch she kind of wears this crown that looks like an m sort of and that's i think that that is what that's meant to evoke that shape and i just thought if that's what they were intending as like kind of a little subliminal thing good on you because that that's a really cool thing to slip into the design that's a nice catch that's nothing that i really would have looked at I was just looking at the font and was thinking, really? You couldn't get something other than Helvetica script? <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I ask that question a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that and really, Papyrus? Did, didn't we oh. stop using that back in 2008? Oh, God. I thought we stopped it in 2003. <laughs> oh. Real quick, something else I think we need to pull up. Um, something that's not on the list because... Uh, because it was announced white at the end, and it's the fact that Blade is coming. Yeah. And Mahershala Ali is going to be playing the title character. And uh, this kind of screws with things a bit, because 
He's already in the MCU, or apparently so, as Cottonmouth in Luke Cage. Oh, man. And uh, so, uh, yeah, the, he apparently Blade is the long-lost twin brother of that guy or something in the MCU. Or maybe they're just finally admitting the Netflix shows don't really matter to the overall story. Well, yeah. I mean, theoretically slash scientifically, with 7 billion people on planet Earth there is a very good chance that there's about a hundred people in this world that are your doppelgangers look almost exactly like you. Whoa. It could just be a freak coincidence. I know Jake, I'm so sorry for all of them. Uh, me too. Honestly, <laughs> well, one is enough. I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, Oh goodness. I hope there's no more. Right. Like that's why I don't procreate. It's just like, that's, there's enough of me in this world. Uh, but it could just be a doppelganger or a parallel universe or maybe Cottonmouth Stokes isn't actually dead and this is, you know, who he's become. This is his new identity. Yeah. There's there's tons of different ways that you could spin this if you wanted to. I'm really hoping that they're not retconning the Netflix series because by the time Blade comes around, here's here's what I'm thinking. By the time Blade comes around, we've already got Phase 4. Blade is expected sometime in Phase 5, which will be 2022. That's about the time, I believe, that the contracts for those Marvel Netflix characters are up. Which means, you know, Marvel can regain custody of people like Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Daredevil, and the Stokes family. I would be very interested in seeing if there's a way that they can combine forces. Because it is time for Matt Murdock to join the MCU. Yes. And if you can set Blade in Hell's Kitchen, it's just a perfect opportunity to bring him in in some capacity. Yep. I love that idea. I I love, I don't know if we talked about it on the show or not, but I love the idea that someone photoshopped Charlie Cox as Daredevil with Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Yes, that's another one. So cool. (laughs) And someone's like, well, well, you know, Spider-Man's been outed. He's been accused of these awful crimes. Well, he might need a lawyer. He needs a lawyer. Yes. And that's another thing. We don't have a Spider-Man sequel on tap for this yet. So, you know, also sometime around 2022, we could be getting a Spider-Man sequel, which is another opportunistic time for Matt Murdock, the lawyer, to show up. The two of them work together. You're right. In the comics, Daredevil and Spider-Man and Deadpool, they all work together. It's the Red Crew. We need that in the movies. I am totally on board with a Marvel's The Red Crew where it's PG-13 and everybody is jumping around with the opportunity to say the F word, but nobody's doing it. So they're just reverting to things like the S word instead. And then, like, (laughs) finally, you have the opportunity for one to drop and both Charlie Cox and uh, I can't remember his name. Oh, damn it. I just said it, didn't I? Yes, you did. I'm really having a tough time tonight. (laughs) We're both Daredevil and Deadpool have the opportunity to say it, (laughs) and it ends up being Spider-Man that drops the F-bomb. Right? And it's going to, like, surprise the whole audience, and it's going to surprise, like, everybody on screen. Like, they're all going to look at him and be like, really? (laughs) And then Deadpool's just going to hug him and be like, I'm so proud. 
see, see, that's the thing. That's that's comedy gold that they're missing out on here. See, you have to put Deadpool in a PG thirteen movie. Yes. And he's he, of course, he's self aware of the fact that he's in a PG thirteen movie. Yes. He knows there's only one f bomb that can be said. Yes. Know? And he's constantly looking for the right opportunity to yes. say said f bomb. <laughs> yes. And then Peter just says it, and it pisses him off. Yes. <laughs> that yes. would be perfect. They made a PG-13 version of Deadpool 2 where he's just, like, totally aware of what they're doing and makes so many jokes about it. It's not nearly as funny as Deadpool 2, but it, it was it was still pretty entertaining. And if you put Daredevil and Spider-Man into that and you just have a Marvel's The Red Crew, oh, my gosh, that would be... <laughs> It's a great way to reintroduce Deadpool. It's a great way to reintroduce Daredevil. It's a great way to pay respects to the comics. Like, there's so many reasons to do this. I really need Feige to pick up my pick up the phone. Like, <laughs> this is there's just so much. Like, Deadpool is the one character you can just drop into the MCU without any explanation. Yep. And it just works because he's Deadpool. Because he'd be like, then, oh, oh, I was just fighting bad guys in Canada, guys, because the United States has just too many damn superheroes. <laughs> and then he gets to make all the jokes about, technically speaking, he's probably a Disney princess and all this kind of stuff. Oh, my gosh. Um, so it just it, they need to – it's going to happen. It's got to happen eventually. We yep. need Daredevil in here, and we need Hugh Jackman in the MCU before he decides to officially retire from acting. I'm telling you, before this is over, before this is over, we will get Charlie Cox as 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 Daredevil. 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 There you go. I found the word. There we go. Um, I helped I you that Deadpool. time. Yeah, you did. Thanks. Thanks. Whatever. Um, <laughs> so we, we're getting Charlie Cox, Daredevil. I'm not even going to say Deadpool. That's a given. We're going to get Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. Hugh Jackman is going to show up in the MCU at some point. They're going to do... They may recast him. They may recast him. I fully expect them to recast everyone for the eventual X-Men movie, and they did mention X-Men at this panel, so it's happening, along with Fantastic Four and all this kind of stuff. But they they are totally... There's going to be a flashback or some kind of time travel conundrum, and you're going to have Hugh Jackman Jackman back. Like It's going to happen. What if he shows up in the Multiverse of Madness? That would be interesting. He's like opening up portals and stuff, and then like, or Doctor Strange's, and then you just see like Deadpool walk by and what? Like, see, wait, what? That what? it could. You're you're joking, but it could totally happen. Totally, it could totally happen. That's I think we've got Phase Four here, and it's got these different things. Of course, no Fantastic Four, no X Men, not even any Spider Man or anything like that. I think this is the point where they're going to start seeding things. We're going to get some references to the Fantastic Four and the X-Men in this movie, if not some cameos. Yep. Well, and, and then in Black Widow, we're getting some explanation as to the Budapest references we've had for so many years. Exactly. So, right. I mean, and then isn't Jeff Goldblum one of the Eternals? He, uh, I think he's he's like kind of like that. He's like on that level. I don't know if he's an Eternal, but he's he's up there. The, the Grandmaster, I'm pretty sure, I mean, based on the Infinity Gauntlet comic, I thought the Grandmaster was one of the Eternals. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. He is, I think he is. I know he's the brother of the Collector. Right. And their part, they're supposed to be like, of course he says in the movie, like, I'm a thousand years old or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
they are supposed to be some kind of eternal beings. They're connected somehow. I can't remember the exact wordage. It may have been eternal, which maybe, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I have known nothing about the Eternals. Nothing. So I'm not even that excited about the movie because I know nothing about it. But, like, but I'm interested in it. Same thing happened with Guardians of the Galaxy, though. I knew nothing about it, and then now it's like, you know, they're some of my favorite it's, MCU films. It's one of my top five favorite films of all time. So Yeah, right. I mean, even even hardcore Marvel fans really didn't know a whole lot about Guardians. Like, yeah. it was a relatively, like, the Guardians that we see in these movies, you know, Star-Lord, Gamora, that's a newer, newer iteration of those characters. Like... Guardians goes way back, but it was different characters and stuff like that. So, like, it was a kind of a deep cut to get those characters. I'm not sure how old Eternals are, but he said that Kevin Feige, and I quote, said, this is full-on Jack Kirby. Nice. So, that's that's really awesome. I'm excited. Oh, okay, so there's there's a there's a difference between Eternals and Celestials. I may Celestials have been... are the giant... That that giant have, head called nowhere. I, may have, I think I that's... may have been thinking. I may have been thinking of celestials. Ego is a celestial. Yep, I remember them. I think the I original think. instigators yeah. of this process, the alien celestials, intended the Eternals to be the defenders of Earth, which leads to the inevitable war against their destructive counterparts, the Deviants. And apparently, some of the Eternals, at least in the comics, have like lost their memory, so they're living on Earth, but they don't know they're Eternals. So, who knows? Interesting. They, the Celestials, visited Earth five million years ago and performed genetic experiments on early proto-humanity, in which they created two divergent races: the Eternals and the genetically unstable and monstrously grotesque Deviants. These experiments also led to the capacity for superpowered mutations in humans. This is how they're introducing the X-Men, guys. This is how they're introducing mutants. This this is how we can finally use this is how we can finally use the M word in the MCU. They also it's gonna per- happen. They it's also performed this experiment on other planets such as the Kree and Skrull homeworlds with similar results. So these celestials are responsible for the Eternals, for the Kree, for the Scroll, and potentially many other species in the galaxy. Kevin Feige knows what he's doing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I get that. I get that idea. I get that maybe he does have a bit of an idea what he's doing. Yeah, and he said uh-huh. at the panel that they have stuff planned out five years ahead of now, which doesn't surprise me, but it it also makes me excited to know that they plan stuff out and are meticulous and they're careful about what they put out you know unlike a certain other <clears throat> studio who puts out superhero movies without really thinking about it too much and we see where that goes i don't know if i want to yep. i don't know if i want to go down that rabbit hole we've got a different movie <laughs> we, to talk we, about you guys we've been at this for almost an hour and have only been alluding to yeah we'll talk about that later we'll talk about that later <laughs> okay we will get into the lion king Real quick, though, I'm going to give you a chance, Zach, to ramble on just a bit about Picard. Oh, oh mm. dear. I know you've been looking forward to this. Oh, dear. It was it was like it, it was like my childhood just kind of came back to life a little bit. And I, and I know that I didn't grow up in the 80s when that show actually happened, but when it was all uploaded to Netflix several years ago, 
I actually got a chance to revisit The Next Generation. I got a chance to revisit those other series with my dad, who did watch them on TV. And so it was like a memory-making experience for all of us. And we're all really attached to these Star Trek characters now. And it was just really fascinating to see uh, that they were they were exploring a new element of Star Trek while also integrating certain fan favorites from previous franchises. And to be exploring Captain Picard's life, you know, 20 years after the events of, um, what is it, Star Trek Nemesis? Yeah. Like, they're, they're following a very sequential timeline. But, you know, it's also brought about so much speculation about who the mysterious girl is and what she represents, who she's related to. Sounds almost like a Ray kind of thing, but I'm not right. even going to get into that. Um, but to to have to have Sir Patrick Stewart back as a, a leader in the Star Trek universe, uh, I don't know if he's a captain, I don't know if he's an admiral, I don't know if I care. It's Jean-Luc Picard, and that's just a fantastic thing to say. And then to have the references to uh, to Data and have Brent Spiner in certain episodes as Commander Data. I don't know if he's going to be in flashbacks or visions or whatever, but he's going to be in it. And then the big surprise that happened during the trailer, they actually show Jerry Ryan as Seven of Nine in this uh-huh. trailer. So you've got some Voyager revisited going on. And then I found out afterwards that they cast... Um, Jonathan Del Arco in this series. And he was also in TNG as the Borg drone Hugh. So you've got two former Borg drones. You've got the cube that is kind of in ruins during that one brief shot in the trailer. You've got this mysterious girl who some are speculating could end up being um, like a the like the soon to become Borg queen that we know from first contact and other iterations of the TV series. Like there's so much speculation and it's way more conversation than what has transpired for discovery. People have kind of mumbled about discovery and there's a few hardcore people that are really into it, but it's like star Trek fans have just come out of the woodwork for this Picard series. And I'm I'm one of those people that's kind of coming out of the woodwork. I am really excited for this. I'm really on board with this. I liked everything that I saw in the trailer. And the the the, the nostalgic touch of hearing him say engage one more time just sent chills down my spine. So I I think I can safely say that my intrigue for discovery combined with my interest in Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone, in addition to the release of Picard on CBS All Access, I may actually finally be subscribing to that service after so many years of holding off. Yep. Oh, wow. I've got a joke for you, Zach. Oh, dear. (laughs) What did Captain Picard say to the sewing machine repairman? To the sewing machine repairman? Let it sew. Make it sew. Make it sew. (laughs) That was not bad for coming up with that on the spot. Make it sew. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) 
I've got I've got so many retorts, but I don't want to go down that trail. <laughs> I just don't. I don't know if I have the emotional energy to engage in a battle of wits with someone that's unarmed. <laughs> okay, so wow. let's let's get into it. Let's go into ah the movie about the clown. The, yeah, I think I don't know. We might have even more fun with that. But <laughs> we're not gonna get into that. We're not gonna get into that. The Lion King, twenty nineteen. This movie, it's I don't know who wants to go first here because I think I, Jake I, does. I, yeah, Jake, you just have at it. Have the floor here, oh man. Oh my gosh. Okay, so I'm gonna preface this. By- first of all, non spoilers. Don't give away any spoilers. <laughs> oh yeah, because people don't know what happens in the movie. Um, <laughs> goodness. So I just watched. Obviously, we just rewatched the original Lion King last week. Um. And it's the, it's the first time I, I had seen it in forever. Watched it, loved it. You've heard my review. I I've really liked a lot of the live action Disney remakes lately. I thought you know they either did something a little different or put a spin on it or something to make it a little bit fresh. And I also love John Favreau. What happened here, guys? Like. This movie was pretty much a shot-for-shot remake of The Lion King, the 1994 classic. They pretty much just reshot the entire thing scene for scene, almost dialogue for dialogue, and just put a CGI skin on it. And there was nothing about it that stuck out as like, this is different enough that makes this feel like a fresh take. I'm usually a visuals guy, visuals usually come first in the things that I notice and appreciate. I I did think that the CGI was impressive, don't get me wrong, but to what end is making this movie CGI worth it? Because I'm watching every single scene in this movie, from the opening to the end, and it's... My mind just kept thinking... These are all CG animals. They look real, but they also... I, I know that they're not real. And for some reason, throughout every frame of this, there was not a single time that I gave myself over to the... the uh, you know, letting my imagination go and think this is real and get sucked into this movie and, and the escapism of it. I kept thinking... This is all CG, and this all feels CG. From the little movements to the, you know, the mouth movements. That's the creepiest part, is the mouths moving. So creepy. I just did not... I, I couldn't get past it, to be honest. And I... I don't know. You can't help but compare the two movies as you're watching this one. I feel like every joke that worked in the old one that they tried to redo here fell flat for me. And I didn't think the voice acting was all that impressive. And, you know, about 15 minutes into the movie, I just, it became comparison game for me. It it became, okay, what are they going to do in this one? Are they going to do it any better than they did in the last one? The answer was pretty much no every single time. And by the end of the film, 
I was just very disappointed by my experience, which I was surprised by. I, w- I was ready to at least appreciate this visually. And I just ended up being really creeped out. And, you know, I'll go, I'll go more into it later as we discuss this, but this was the first time in a while that I've seen a Disney movie that I just really didn't like. And to be honest, I don't think I'll ever watch this again. And that's, that's my thoughts on the Lion King 2019. I, yeah, I, I, I definitely hear where you're coming from and I don't, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you on a lot of that kind of stuff. I have a, I think I have a more like a meh type of, uh, you know, scenario with this. Like, I think, I think the visuals themselves, I was really impressed by. I think the CGI is really well done, but the way they animate the lines, the way the animals are done is very unsettling. And I think, and I've heard people to say that they really like this movie. And I, the only thing I can imagine is that they manage to get past that. I feel like if you can turn your brain off and not think about the fact that the the lions are just, like their mouths are moving and there's like no expressions on the faces and the eyes are just dead. Ugh. Like, it's really weird. If you can get past that, I'm sure you can probably enjoy most of this movie, but it's really odd. And it's a really odd choice for the filmmaker standpoint. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like, John Favreau, what are you thinking? And like, I went back and watched some videos and I'm like, okay, I get where you're coming from. He's talking about, you know, oh, they used different angle lenses and stuff like that to kind of replicate kind of like a, a nature documentary or whatever. And a lot of this stuff feels that way. And the fact that this is, the fact that none of this film was actually filmed, it's all CGI, is damn impressive. Yeah. And I... I appreciate that, but it's a beautiful, it's beautiful film, but that's not all of it. Yeah, I, I respect what they were trying to do. I look at this as like an experiment, like what can we do to further the technology and the medium and what can we do to, um, you know, push the envelope in certain ways and what works, what doesn't work. And I really respect John Favreau and Disney for tackling a project like that and trying to see how how it works. And I think they're going to get feedback for that. And that's what I respect about this whole thing. If if I and we'll we'll get to the what did you love, what did you hate thing in a in a bit. But I think the highest praise I can give for this movie is that they tried something, and it may not have gotten the best response. But you, I feel like you have to experiment and try things, you know, in order to know whether they work or not. And that's, I think what they were doing here. And I kept thinking throughout this movie that John Favreau, as smart as he is, because I think he's a brilliant filmmaker. I think he knows exactly what he's doing or what he's trying to do. I feel like a little bit into the production of this movie, he was, I'm sure he thought or said to somebody, or there was a conversation where they were like, this I don't know if this is working, but we're going to plow through to the end because we finished stuff and we have to finish this, but maybe we won't do this again with, you know, non-expressive animals. Yeah. Zach, jump in here. Where do you land on this? Uh, Mostly, I'm just sad that this is the response that this movie is getting. Mm-hmm. That yeah. I I I think I think that's my my biggest takeaway is 
there were a lot of people that were really excited about the opportunity to revisit their childhood and experience it in a new way. And I'm sure that that was something that Favreau and company were trying to take into account amongst all the other things that they were juggling. But for the most part, on my feed, uh, granted my feed is rather limited, but most of what I've seen as far as you know instant reactions go, from the people my age, it's been negative. From the people younger than me, it's been positive. Hmm. And from the people older than me, it's been a, a little mixed. So the fact that it's got such a mixed bag is the thing that really confuses me. And I think the reason why the the generation just after me or that you know the the 15 16 year olds are kind of interested in it is because they expect this level of detail. I think they've they've become so spoiled by movies like The Avengers that CGI is just kind of a given. Mm -hmm. They just expect it. And they didn't grow up on The Lion King the way that we did. So for a lot of them, there are a lot of young people out there, ages you know 10 to 15, who didn't really experience it in its 1994 glory on VHS the way we did. Right. And there, there are some, uh, like my friend Sean, who took his, his little boy to go see it, and I don't think he had seen the 94 version at all. Wow. Yeah. There, there, I, I can't remember if it was Sean or if it was another friend of mine, but, but one of those two took, took their little guy to go see it and had never seen the 94 version at all. You're going into it completely cold. The only version you've ever seen is the 2019 version. And that's obviously an advantage. Like, mm -hmm. nostalgia goggles are a huge thing with movies. They can be. Yeah. And, you know, and it's definitely – and, you know, if this – I think there's problems with this movie. I think the problems – the main problems with this movie lie beyond just nostalgia and it being a remake. But at the same time, that doesn't help its case. No, it know? really doesn't because we're – like you said, Jake, we, we're looking at it as a shot-for-shot shot remake mm -hmm. because we've seen all those shots before, potentially hundreds of times. There are some people who are seeing these shots for the very first time or maybe just the second or third time in their life. They don't have as much to relate it to or as much to compare it to. And so they're getting to see it with a very fresh lens. And maybe by that token, they're only critiquing the things that they know that they should critique, like the emotions of the lions. And, right. not, and not whether the emotions of the lions ended up hurting the scene compared to the 1994. You know, we're kind of piling it on a little bit because we're not just critiquing the things about the movie as a movie. We're also critiquing the movie in relation to its 1994 iteration. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we have, we have a lot of things to judge it on as, as millennials who grew up on this film, the three of us. We have a lot of comparisons to make. And for some people, they have more comparisons to make, or some, they have fewer. My mom said she really enjoyed it. And mm -hmm. she probably watched The Lion King as much as I did because she lived in the same house, yeah. you know? But maybe she didn't watch it as often or with as much detail, or maybe she just wanted to experience Hakuna Matata all over again. 
Mm-hmm. And, and since that, they're I not that's doing... the thing with that's the thing with like generational wise older yeah. people. Like I talked to my dad, and he's like, I, I was telling him like, oh yeah, I remember that movie like the back of my hand. Like I watched it the first time in a while, but it was all coming back to me, and you know I had it basically memorized. Yeah, and he said like. Oh, I barely remember it. Like, yeah, I don't really remember it because it's been so long since I've seen it. Yeah, and he, you know, maybe put it on for me as a kid, but like he didn't watch it over and over again. So you have this divide between people that have watched it but don't really remember it, and the people that may never have seen it because they're too young. And then we're kind of stuck here in the middle as we kind of see it all. Yeah, and ultimately we're kind of at the most disadvantage because we're directly comparing it to the movie that we have in our head already yeah, that, yeah that's a thought i had a couple times watching this was like every like i think the thing that's taking the fun out of this for me is i'm just comparing it to something that we've already established is a nearly perfect movie already right and and i are i hadn't seen the original one in like a lot of years you know so a lot of the details of the movie were were lost on me and i if i had watched the lion king 2019 first all that stuff would have come flooding back and I would have been like, Oh, I, I remember this. Oh, cool. Uh, yep. I remember this song. I remember this. Oh, nice. This looks great. This sounds great. Whatever. And then watched the original one afterward. Would I have been, I, I would have been less likely to have been caught in the trap of comparing it constantly. And I could be, and I, you know, maybe I would have liked it more had I watched this first. See, I did the exact same thing. We actually got together as a family and watched the 94 version at home on a Wednesday and then had tickets to the Thursday premiere. So we watched them back to back. Right. And I I did it because I wanted to take a trip down memory lane and then be able to do a comparison. But if I hadn't done that, I feel like I would have actually cried during that opening sequence. I've, I feel like mm-hmm. I would have actually been able to let loose an actual tear. And I, honest to God, thought that that was going to happen at least once in this film. Yeah. I really, really thought, considering how much we doted on the previous version, that there would be something in this movie that would make me cry. And don't get me wrong, I came close a couple of times. But I don't think I actually teared up at this movie. I, and I have definitely teared up over Mufasa's death in the '94 version. Yeah, I I definitely did when when I watched it. I was I was I was tearing up left and right at at, at different scenes, and yeah. y- y- this like there has to be a visual connection, I think, on some level to em- to to get a reaction out of you emotionally, and you have to. It, it really helps to see what a character is feeling on their face in order to translate into your brain. Oh, yeah. this is what I'm supposed to feel. And this is what they're feeling. And I didn't get that. I don't think a single time in this movie and somebody posted a meme and th- this really sums up this movie for me. It was, I don't know if you've ever watched SpongeBob SquarePants, but Oh yeah. In there's an episode where somebody takes over the Krusty Krab operations, basically, and they're making Krabby Patties that are synthetic. And it's basically this gray goo that they paint to look like a burger. And there's a scene in there where somebody takes a bite and it looks like a burger on the outside, but then you can see the gray stuff in the middle. And somebody made a comparison between the 1994 
Lion King looking like a nice, real Krabby Patty, and the new one looking like some gray goo painted to look like a Krabby Patty. And that's exactly how I felt. It's, mm. it's not. It's not. A, it's not a terrible analogy there. Yeah, just kind of a, um, a flat thing made to look like something that you already know and love. I, so, I think like it's not like they do change some stuff. There is a few added scenes, but they are super inconsequential. Mm-hmm. And they're like I like some of the stuff. I, I don't disagree. even. I I I welcome you to disagree, but I think some of the stuff like the dung scene, like the hair scene, I'm like, what? I, what are you thinking? So yeah, that okay, that was one thing that I was like, that is an interesting way to make it more realistic. You know, I feel like since this is a more realistic film visually, they kind of have to make the situations a little bit more realistic. And, like, yeah. you can't have animals standing on top of each other during Can't Wait to Be King or Just Can't Wait to Be King. Obviously not. So you just have a bunch of animals following Simba and Nala, right? Well, somebody in a review said that this movie with the... Remember when Simba sees the clouds or up in the uh, in the sky and you can see Mufasa in the cartoon? They're like, right. well, that's not a thing in the new movie. Yes, it is. If you look at the clouds, when the lightning flashes, it looks like a lion's face. Yeah, it does. So yeah. They, yeah, it does. they did it does. that it, It's more subtle. It's more subtle. It's more realistic. I can maybe understand that in a movie that is trying to be as realistic as possible, right. down to a lion's don't have facial expressions, um, you know, you, you don't just put, you know, the clouds just don't automatically form the face of Mufasa. Right. Like, it's more subtle, and it's more like almost literally blink, blink, and you miss it. Yeah, I mean, that... But that... I, I did like that. I, I did enjoy some changes like that. I think there were some really good things that I think they did, and some logic gaps. There's also another subplot I'm not so sure about that they put in there, but, like, it's 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 a mixed bag of different things, I think. Yeah. So to to go back around and talk about um, emoting and the emotions of faces and and seeing uh, facial movements in and words coming out of things that you're not expecting words to be coming out of, uh, I would like I would like to direct you, gentlemen, to our group chat that we have, because when we're talking oh about words coming out of things that words should not be coming out of, <laughs> oh JJ. This is the first thing that I think of. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Talk about creepy. Why is there a plane made of metal, presumably, with like a fleshy, gross face in the front? Okay. For those for those who can't <laughs> see this, and think, he just sent us a blurry screenshot of J.J. the Jet Plane. <laughs> for those of you oh. who don't remember that or didn't grow up with that horrific show. Uh, um, what was the helicopter's go, name Go Google again? it. The helicopter. Herky? What was it? Herky, I think. Perky. Oh, man. H. I think it starts with an it, it, H. Let me for, see. For all, the, yeah. for all the kiddos out there who have no idea what we're talking about, basically, GG the Jant Plane was like Thomas the Tank Engine, which that's another reference they may not get. But <sighs> Tom, it's basically Thomas the Tank Engine, but it's like faces on planes and it's all CGI. But the faces and it's, move. Uh, <sighs> yeah, they're all, they're all like. The faces oh my can God. talk. Like, 
Like, how do you not get nightmares from this? Like, this is why we are scarred and deranged <laughs> people is because of talking helicopters with faces that look like clowns. Like, oh my oh gosh. gosh. Oh gosh. That's the worst one. That oh. one right there. Herky oh, the helicopter. The love of. Oh. Like, when you're talking about <laughs> words that should not be coming out of anything, like, I thank God that CGI has gotten to a point where at least the lion looked like a lion. Uh, like, oh, jeez. This is... Uh, this is a very bad lane. tangent. I'm going to have lane. nightmares tonight. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. You are very welcome. Uh, th- that's not to say that I think this movie is perfect. I have some complaints, but I have some praises as well, and I'm looking forward to getting into all of them. Might as well go ahead and get into spoilers now. We're kind of at that point, I feel like. Because, like you said, Ben, that that scene with the dung and the tuft of hair really bothered me. And not because it wasn't realistic. It was quasi-realistic. And I realized that they had people that actually went to Africa to like study the, the movements of animals. And they came up with all of these different ideas. And I, I feel like this scene was just like them trying to show off a little bit. Which I get it, like showmanship, you know, show me what you got kind of thing. But we spent several minutes following a tuft of hair across the African savanna. <laughs> like, just let that sink in for a second. It was a little long. We, I, it felt like five minutes. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, okay, you're in the water. Oh, okay, you're in a nest. Oh, okay, you're in poop. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> And you then, you know what this scene what does this scene remind you guys of does it rem, do it remind you of any scene in particular from another film uh, or do I have to remind you of this I'm, I gotta say to me it kind of reminded me of Prince of Egypt when the no, basket that, the, is going the, through the river but the man. reference that I'm thinking of is Polar Express oh the ticket remember that movie the ticket the yeah. ticket going through all those yeah. different areas the ticket but that I feel like that movie is that movie is ridiculous yeah. that movie is like supposed to be like this heightened reality of like oh, this train's doing all this kind of crazy stuff and like the the ticket flies away and it gets eaten by an eagle then spit out and then goes over a waterfall and gets you know it's like it it's supposed to be that i feel wolves. like i feel like the lion king was like you've got this super realistic like this is what like Lion, it would be like if you just did this. If lions could somehow talk and were intelligent, like this is how it would be. But then they go off in this thing where it's like they're almost like trying to like, oh, we have to meet this quota. We have to make the movie certain length, so we have to add this big <laughs> long scene. And I'm like, okay, I get it for like a couple seconds, but like that, after like the first couple minutes, it was it was it was getting a bit ri- ridiculous. That's the other thing that I'm about to get at. This is the point that I've that I, that I've been looking to make is we spend so much time following that tuft of hair across the savanna, but we don't have enough time for Rafiki to whack Simba on the head with a stick. <laughs> Uh, amen a freaking man also i can't like, I, I i can't remember this but did, in the original did rafiki fight the the uh the hyenas hyenas with a stick yeah he goes yeah, all he, he goes oh, all he? karate okay, on I, didn't remember the, that. Yeah. I was like are they yeah. adding this yeah he was like he was like a kung fu match he was like wow wow yeah okay, like, yeah, okay. He was, 
he was but he like, was all over overall that. like the material that Rafiki had was just, like Rafiki was hardly a character in this movie like Ugh. you know his big scene he's just cut back and he's not even there he's just like oh yeah follow me down here here's your father I'm gonna I'm gonna go now yep yeah he wasn't he wasn't like super mysterious he was just like a guide and I don't know maybe that was the point was he was supposed to be like like an, an Ali Brihe he's supposed to be like a spirit guide or something yeah but. I, I just his big moment was in that opening scene, the very beginning, and then after that it was like he was just kind of watching over Simba from a distance, and it, it, you know it almost felt like when when Scar made the announcement that Simba was dead and he kind of like brushed the face off. For a minute there, I thought that maybe he felt guilty because he didn't watch over Simba as well as he was supposed to. And then he got really excited when he found out Simba was alive because maybe he had, like, a second chance. But I think that's the only time I really felt anything for Rafiki. Yeah. I, I, he, he, was, he was practically non-existent in this film. And that's really upsetting because aside from that and, like, maybe 30 seconds of screen time at the end where he's hitting the hyenas, uh, there, there was very little of Rafiki to be seen. And... You know, he was he was one of my favorite characters from the original movie. I really loved how how much of a Mr. Miyagi he kind of was at certain times. You know, whacking Simba on the head and he's like, Oh yes, the past can hurt. But he got almost none of that. Like after the visit from Mufasa, he's just like, I ask you again, who are you? Yeah. And all of a sudden Simba is just like realizing who he is and what he's supposed to do. It's like Oh, one encounter with my dead father, and all of a sudden I'm changed. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. know. There were some parts of the story that felt like they might have cut corners a little bit, and I think that was one of them. Yeah, it it, it feels like they, I don't know. It's like that, like like Jake was saying, this really is mostly just a shot for shot remake. Like they they the biggest, you know the biggest moments are in there. All the big moments are in there. All the original movie is in there, plus a little bit more. And, but then, but to counter that, like, a lot of the stuff isn't there. There's a lot of good stuff that they just decided, hey, we don't need this or whatever, in, and yet we needed this dung beetle (laughs) sequence. Yeah. Um, And it's like, I don't know, I feel like you, you needed a lot of, good you know there's a lot of good character moments that i think just missing i think if you're gonna go this like with aladdin and this is my i can't believe we're like two hours into this and i'm 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 just now comparing this to aladdin but like i feel like aladdin was was stronger because it did in certain moments really emulate the original film but it also went off in its own direction so you weren't necessarily expecting it to totally redo the original movie it was doing its own thing Whereas this movie, for so much of it, it follows the first movie to a T, to yep. an exact amount. Especially, like, yep. the Circle of Life scene is an exact recreation. Oh, yeah. And it's down to everything. Like, it's it's perfect. And it's great. It's visually, it's stunning. It's, it's, it's beautiful. But then after that, it starts going off the rails, and you're like, some parts of it are, like, really on the nose. Other parts of it are just going off in other directions and completely changing characters a la the hyenas and all that and Shenzi and like her character and just it's just 
it's really weird. Okay, I'm going to get to Shenzi in a second, but I do feel like I need to give some credit where credit is due because I I absolutely adore that opening sequence in the 94 film. The mm-hmm. all the animals come into Pride Rock to pay their respects, the music that goes on in the background. It is one of the most majestic sequences in all of Disney. Yeah. Like it's so so beautiful. And to see it mimicked and recreated in this fashion, it honestly felt like one of the better sequences of the whole movie. Yeah. To I, me. I agree. To to me. I I really felt like it kind of set the tone. I was like if this is the way the rest of the movie's going to be, I'm going to be okay. Unfortunately, it wasn't. <laughs> But I had a moment of hope as I'm looking at this going, oh, wow. Oh, look at the birds sitting on the tusk of the elephant. Look at the birds as they fly over the pond. Look at that shot of Mount Kilimanjaro. Look at the giraffes. Look at all of this over-the-head shot. And then I'm looking at how Rafiki is holding Simba up in the air, and then it cuts to a certain part of the animals down on the gorge, cuts back to him, cuts down to the zebras, and then cuts back up, cuts to the monkeys, and cuts back up. It's like every single shot was exactly the same. Yeah. And if that had been like a fan film or something and they had just made that scene, I would have like contributed to their GoFundMe. <laughs> like that, that part to me was amazing. Quite possibly one of the best parts of the film. But I, after that, it, it just, it did turn into a bit of a mixed bag. Well, I will admit I agree with you about the opening because I feel like the opening, when the music is playing and all the animals are are walking towards Pride Rock, that's beautiful. You know, that feels real to me and I can see that happening. And as soon as they start getting into the stuff that wouldn't happen in real life, I really, it really took me out of it. And I feel kind of dumb saying that because I'm like, okay, I don't know really how else you would do this story. But if you're doing it shot for shot and you're having realistic animals doing things like, hey, here's uh, some lines on a rock and the monkey's holding up the lion like he's the new, you know, born lion and all the all the animals are standing down bowing and stuff. That took me right out of it. And I felt like a jerk for thinking that. But that's just that's (laughs) what my mind said. Yep. You're a jerk. Jake the jerk. Jake the jerk. Well, okay, so with that, if we're going to be talking about the the animals and the photorealism, then this will also tie into Ben's comment on the characterization of the hyenas. Because one of my other complaints was the hyenas. Not, mm-hmm. not necessarily for their characterization and the way they were written, but for their physique and the way they were shot. They are, I don't know if this is because they were trying to mimic um, the the way that they behaved in The Lion King. I can forgive an animated film for trying to make the hyenas more intimidating and having them like growling and snarling and stuff like that. Uh, But they basically integrated that into the hyenas in this film as well. And if you watch nature documentaries, if you're actually trying to make this photorealistic and try and make it resemble actual hyenas then do your freaking research for the love of God. 
because hyenas are not related to the dog family. They do not lick and groom each other and hang out inside of a cave like you saw in the movie. <laughs> they do not have like a pack leader. They're more like scavengers that hang out together because they're better in numbers. They're basically walking vultures, and they're not related to the dog at all. Their closest living relative is the mongoose. Wow. I, they are more closely related huh. to the mongoose than they are to any canine species. And yet, Shenzi was a pack leader, and they they hunted pretty much in packs with an attack formation like you saw with the stampede. And they're digging through the ground trying to go after the cubs, barking and growling and snarling the way a wolf would. They're not related to dogs. Can we get that clip from last week when Zach said, It's science! It's, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just gonna put that out there. There, are, There is some things that if you're trying to make it photorealistic and trying to resemble the things that you went to Africa to go see... Obviously, you must not have seen a pack of hyenas because that's not how they behave. Yeah, It's just not. I, and that was one of the other things that kind of took me out of it. I will admit, though, Keegan-Michael Key made a pretty good hyena. I like... They, the, the Keegan-Michael Key hyena and those two, like, they got... Like, I laughed and my theater laughed several times at their jokes. Like, uh, my, I, my... For some reason, my theater was into it. I feel like I'm directly the opposite because I, to me, generally speaking, I think the hyenas were my favorite part of the movie because they were just so like menacing and creepy and like the laughing that hyenas do that, you know, creeped me out. And to me, the jokes from the hyenas were some of the weaker ones. Like they were the ones that my theater didn't really laugh at that much and I thought felt flat. And Keegan-Michael Key especially, because I recognize his voice, I was like, that doesn't fit. <laughs> so I feel like I'm totally the opposite from you guys well, on the hyenas. Didn't you, didn't you recognize Cheech Marin in the other movie? Didn't you recognize Whoopi Goldberg in the other movie? Yeah, but, How did that fit? But for some reason, those just seem to fit those characters perfectly. Like, I don't know like why exactly but the voices and how they were drawn it just it seemed to be perfect i don't know man if we're gonna talk about comedy i feel like we also need to talk about zazu for a few minutes okay okay <sighs> zach I'm, let me i'm gonna make a make a i want to i want to guess something really quick here last okay. week and i don't know if i think it was on the show or maybe it was on in our one of our group chats you said that there was a character that was obviously miscast in this movie Mm. Did you mean Zazu? I did, did not. Cuz I that's my I did not. that's my critique of Zazu. <laughs> uh, but, but, but bring it on, buddy. I bring I, it on. I don't know. I mean, obviously I've watched a lot of last week tonight. I really like um John Oliver. John Oliver, thank you. Um I'm really bad with names tonight for some reason. Um I really like him. I don't know if he's acted anything else, but it just took me out of it. And it was almost... I don't think he was giving a very good performance at all. Like... He's no Rowan Atkinson. No, he's not. Like, I, But I can, like... I can I can put that aside. I can... Okay, this is this interpretation of the character. I just don't think it was a good interpretation. I don't think it was a good just acting performance at all. Like, the way he talked was, like, robotic. 
It's like, oh, yes, this, this, this. And it wasn't like, there was nothing to it. It, it seemed mm-hmm. like he didn't know what he was doing. It was almost like he was out of his depth and like there needed like a few more takes of the lines. Yeah. It just wasn't working, I don't think. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm curious what you guys thought. I thought it was, you know, I, I feel like I agree with you. Rowan Atkinson just nailed the role in the first movie. That's how I felt about Timon and Pumbaa too. But with Zazu, it just felt off. Didn't feel like Zazu to me. And I think, I think my favorite part about Zazu, if I were to choose one or the positive, is that I I like that they went to the effort to like make him a, a species of toucan that you would see in Africa. Yeah. Um, it's not a toucan. Or uh, I'm sorry. What kind of bird? He's a hornbill. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you deeply offended Zach. Oh. You, just know, you noticed that, right? <laughs> I'm sorry, Zach. It's Mr. Banana Beak to you, fuzzy. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I I I do. I have a miscast too, but we'll we'll get to that. I think I think yours and my miscast may be the same, Jake. There's I, a very good chance at that. Uh, yeah, I feel like it. Might. Um. But here, here's here's my take on Zazu. While I don't feel like John Oliver did a better job than Rowan Atkinson, I feel like Zazu's character might have been one of the better written characters in this story. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna Be- disagree with you, honestly. Yeah. Like the Be- whole the whole idea that he didn't get captured, like he was kind of on the run while Scar was there, and then he right. was kind of with Simba when he was planning his thing. Like that made sense. I like that. Being yeah, being with Simba when he's planning his retaking of the Pride Lands, being a a protector and defender of the Pride even after Simba and Mufasa are gone, like he even interceded to cause a distraction from Scar so that Nala could escape to go find help. Right. And then he also interceded when the hyenas had Simba cornered. He jumped in and actually I think flew into Shenzi's face to keep her from going after the cubs. He was useful. Like, he was useful. Yeah. He's got, like, a spark of bravery to him in this that you don't see in the previous movie. He's like, oh, no, not the birdie boiler. Like, he's he's practically a chicken. But in this one, he had some moments of bravery. And I actually kind of like the story about the cousin who thought he was a woodpecker. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that was funny. That was funny. I was like, oh, my gosh. Was, I can just picture that. That took the place of the joke from the other one where he's like, there's one in every family, two in mine. Two. <laughs> in mine actually like there's no there's no story behind that but this time there is a story and the story pops up multiple times and you're just like i want to meet this cousin now yeah and i don't don't know there were just there were certain things about zazu not necessarily john oliver but things about zazu that felt like he actually actually put some effort into revising his character and make him a little bit stronger and more involved in the story overall and i i liked what they did i also liked the morning report yeah, they, I they gotta, included it. I, I gotta admit. Well, okay, but they 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 did it a little bit differently. Yeah, because he he opens he <laughs> he opens with ten flamingos are taking a stand. And two giraffes were caught necking. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Like those are all things that animals actually do. When flamingos are asleep, they stand on one foot. I don't know why. I feel like it's a balance thing. Yeah. And then giraffes will fight each other with their necks when they're fighting over territory or mates. And so that whole concept of necking wasn't making out. It was fighting. 
Right. And so, like, his morning report actually had, like, a quasi-political stance talking about violence in the Pride Lands and stuff like that. But then he also threw in his own twist at the very end about cheetahs never prosper. That was one that got tons of laughs in the original movie, still gets laughs in the original movie. Mm-hmm. And so that that blend there actually felt okay to me. Um, um I, I have a suggestion. Uh-huh. I have an idea. What if... What we should, at the count, on the count of three, we should name the character from the movie that we think is miscast and see if it's the same one, like on the, at the same time. Okay, I'm down. Okay. Ben, are you I'm down? down? All right. Okay. So like counting down from. I three. think I've already Ready? said mine, but but we'll, we'll do it again, I guess. Okay. Three. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Well, I meant between me and yeah. Zach because I think we. Might oh, okay. Have then, the same then one. I'll just shut okay, up. Okay. Then Ben, why don't you? Why don't? Why don't? Well, Ben, why don't you count us in? Because if you've already said Zazu, you felt like he was one of those miscast. Then it's just down to me and Jake. So would you do the honors of that? Counting totally us in? works. I will. Uh, you will say them on one, and I will start at three, two, one. Scar. Scar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't disagree there either. Really. <laughs> you you I, start Zach. I'm, I'm I'm just I'm I'm not going to apologize for this one. There there's some will I'll be like, I'm sorry, but I really feel this kind of thing. No, I'm not sorry. I am not sorry at all. Scar was one of the best Disney villains ever. Oh yes. And it was because he achieved his goal through manipulation, through strategic planning, and through brilliant song. And mm-hmm. this Scar had none of that. Nothing. The only thing that was accurate about Scar was his mane. Mm-hmm. Because if you're looking at reality, again, if you're trying to be photorealistic and you're trying to make it seem as close to reality as possible, it is a human construct to include your brother just because he's family. <laughs> if you've got an older male lion that is a threat to you, you kick his ass out of the Pride Lands. Exactly. That is, I mean, that that whole justification that Mufasa does in the beginning of the movie, I'm like, yeah, bitch, that's going to be your downfall. Like, it just, I know that it's foreshadowing. I know that I know that I know that it's foreshadowing, but it's not realistic. I, I, have to correct, hardly... I have to correct you real quick. You said the only accuracy was his mane. I mean, his scar was also there. He also had a scar, but when we're talking about, like, photorealism, the... The king of the pride is always the one that has the bushiest mane. So the fact that he's got a shorter, closer-to-the-neck mane than Mufasa shows that Mufasa is in control of the Pride Lands. True, yeah. And when, and when Simba grows his and it becomes bigger and fuller than Scar's is, it kind of implies that he's going to end up taking over the pride as well. Um, there's, there's just something about the size of the mane that shows and asserts dominance and... Uh, to to draw him in that way, to create him in that way, was actually one of the more realistic things that they did because he would have been one of those solitary males that's just forming a hunting party with a couple of other males to try and stay alive while also not totally trespassing in certain parts of another male's pride. Right. Like, that. That's that's the way those types of solitary males look if you're looking at nature films. But I digress. I- His character. I just huh? I felt like he he just didn't have the the uh I don't want to say gravitas cuz I feel like this this version actually charisma. had a little more gravitas Char- as far as I would as, say charisma. 
Charisma. There you go. That's a great word. Jeremy Irons. It, he is Scar. You know, he just is Scar. Yeah. And yeah. I love Chiwetel Ejiofor in pretty much everything I've seen him in. I He's a great actor, yeah. but his his voice in place of Jeremy Irons voice just wasn't what the character needed to, to be that villainous, like, ugh. you know, I, I don't really know how to perfectly explain or describe it, but I feel like, you know what I'm talking about. I do. I do. Because in the 94 version, uh, that, that scar, the Jeremy Irons scar is more about, about deceit and convincing other people that this is the way to go. And he was more slimy. He, he he was because he's like, oh dear, I've said too much. Yeah. But like, there's one point where Uncle Scar is is talking to Baby Simba, and he's like, go back to your den, Simba. I don't babysit. He's like grumpy. Mm-hmm. He's like the he's like he's like the grumpy uncle instead of the sly fun uncle. Right. And it, it's just it's just about how the character is presented, and he was presented as more just grumpy and evil than he was, like, sly and Here's charismatic. The Here's the thing the- that I just thought of, and this is something that goes back way back with Disney villains. The original Scar was gay. Yeah, he, he seems he, and like And a that. lot of Disney villains, going back, they're kind of characterized as being kind of on that side and being kind of, you know, thing, which is a problem, kind of. But I think I definitely feel it in the original Scar, whereas this one doesn't feel that way. I think he's kind of lost it. I almost feel like you need that in Scar. You need that kind of this yeah. bouncy, like, oh, I'm surrounded by idiots. Like, that yeah. kind of stuff. There wasn't any of that in Chiwetelogy 4's performance, even though I li- actually kind of liked it. I like him as an actor. I liked his vocal performance. I'm not sure it was a totally a great fit for Scar. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't care for his vocal performance because they – butchered my favorite song from this yeah movie. that wasn't very good mm-hmm. they did they did do more of the song than i thought they were going to do but they did it differently and it was just there wasn't as it much was, it was like a spoken word it wasn't even a song right tenacity spanner decades of denial <laughs> be prepared be prepared be prepared be prepared be prepared like what what are we what are we preparing for? Are we preparing for lunch? Yeah. Like what 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 are we what are we preparing for? Are we preparing for that god awful release of the movie Cats? Like I don't <laughs> I don't know what we're preparing for. And I'm very excited it, for that it, movie, by the way. He he didn't even state his plan. How the hell did the hyenas know what to do? He didn't even give them his plan to prepare for. All he said was, "That's why we're gonna kill him. Be prepared. Be prepared. Be prepared." Like, what the hell, man? Do you know why? What because is going on? They know everybody watching this movie, for the most part, has seen the old one, and we just put two and two together. But you can't assume that. No, you can't, especially for the new viewers or the ones like Ben's dad who just haven't seen it in so long. You're just like, be prepared, be prepared. Like, okay, exactly. So we just we just wait for this. We just we just we just wait for for the scar flag to be planted on pride rock. And then we can just show up magically. Like I feel like the whole point of the song be prepared was to 
extrapolate on Scar's character and why he feels the way that he does and exactly what his plan is, what he intends to do, and how the hyenas play a part in it. Like, the whole point of the song was plot advancement. And we didn't get any of that. The plot didn't advance. There wasn't extrapolation. There wasn't anything about it that garnered the need for this song. And yet they still kind of shoehorned it in. And here's the other thing that I don't like. Is pretty much every other song in this movie is word for word. You've got Circle of Life. Mm -hmm. You've got Just Can't Wait to Be King. You've got Hakuna Matata. You've got Can You Feel the Love Tonight. Everything else is exactly the same. The one song that they did differently was this one. Can Can I just rant about a certain song? Sure, we're talking about music. Why not? Okay. Can You Feel the Love Tonight should have been renamed Can You Feel the Love Today? (laughs) Because there was no shot in that song that was filmed at night. Like, you could argue for, like, early evening, but, like, there's rays of sunshine coming through the trees. Like, it's not at night. So let me let me try it that way. Can you feel the love this early evening? <laughs> Just doesn't have a ring Just to not it. Not quite there. Um, poor Tim Rice and Elton John. <sighs> <laughs> Although I I wasn't completely opposed to Queen B singing that song though. No, I think I nice. think I think most of the cast. Donald Glover, Beyonce, I think especially Donald Glover, I think he was great. I felt like the younger Simba got on my nerves a bit. I I wasn't. I think that's kind of the point because he's kind of a brat. Yeah, but just every anything. The the one in the cartoon wasn't annoying. Like Jonathan Campbell Thomas was like, I think he's a good performance. Like I think he was really good. Like younger Simba, I think feel like Mm -hmm. the older Simba, you know, uh, Broderick wasn't as strong. Right, I think it's opposite here. I think what's interesting. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not going to say anything. What? <laughs> off air. Off air. I was wondering, like, what does it? Oh, something dear. I said? Oh, God. I'll type it in the chat. Oh, God. Oh, oh dear. Oh, dear. That Jake has to censor himself on this show. Oh, my. <laughs> Gotta love it. Good content, people. Uh, Good content. People love it when we're making inside jokes and uh, stuff that they don't right? understand. Yeah, love it. Right? Just a bunch of bunch of inside jokes and self-referentials that nobody has any clue what's going on. Uh, I tell you what, maybe this is actually a decent place to just hit the pause button yeah. anyways. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to go to a commercial break, and then we'll come out and discuss uh, some other parts of the, of the film. But this is our, our official uh, station identification and just quick chance for us to take a drink of water anyways. and some music but... some some good music from the movie you'll get to hear Ooh, yay how about that well we'll be right back after all that then as we continue our discussion of the 2019 version of the lion king right here on the ipc podcast stay tuned i can see what's happening i can't what and they don't have a clue who's they they'll fall in love and here's the bottom line our trio's down to two. Oh, I get it. The sweet caress of twilight. Yeah. There's magic everywhere. It's everywhere. And with all this romantic atmosphere, disasters in the air. Can you feel the love tonight? 
Greetings, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi, and I have drifted into the underworld. The Star Wars underworld. I have a bad feeling about this. Hey, y'all, this is Ben Hart here. I know y'all just heard me on the IPC talking all things geeky and fun. Now I'm here to tell y'all about my other podcast. It's called The Star Wars Underworld, about all things Star Wars. We talk Star Wars The Clone Wars, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars Last Jedi, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and so much more. I record it with my friends Chris and Dominic, who are here to tell y'all all about it. Hello, Chris. Hello, Ben. I'm so excited to talk about Star Wars this week. It's fun. It's funny. We're going to have a great time. Hey, guys, I am so nostalgic for mall packaging, and I love being on the Star Wars Underworld podcast talking all the latest Star Wars news. Well, now that y'all had a little taste of the show and you know what to expect, you should check out more episodes by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com or by searching for the show on the iTunes, the Apple Podcast, the Google Play, and all sorts of things. And may the Force be with y'all. It's a wrap, eh?
And we are back with our discussion of The Lion King 2019. We can't really call it the live-action version because it's all CGI. Even John Favreau said it's not live-action. It's not live-action. He says there's only one live shot in the whole movie. Which one is that? And I, for the life of me, can't figure it out. But he (sighs) he did a really cool interview with Jimmy Kimmel talking about some of the stuff that they did behind the scenes and the casting of... Uh, Beyonce getting her to join the movie and how he kind of got some street cred with his kids because he was hanging out with Beyonce while working on the film. Um, But he talked about how at one point they used um, VR cameras and VR headsets to help create the Pride Lands. And the, uh, the editors that were working on the CGI would be able to put those on and look around. And even sometimes they would let the actors wear them so that they could get a feel for where their characters were going to be during certain scenes. So um, there, there are several sequences that a lot of the voice actors say felt like live action because they weren't always in a studio. Sometimes they were in a theater and they were walking around, moving around, and they had the mics attached to them and they were you know, capturing improv moments that got included in the film. So there, there are some live action qualities that are put into this movie, but... It is all CGI. Yeah. And I don't know if that is a praise or if that's a complaint, but we've done a lot of talking about the things that we didn't really care for for this movie. I think we got most of them out of the way. Anything else maybe we can include in the in the final thoughts, but let's try and transition into some of the good things that we have to mm-hmm. say about this film because I, I did have some sequences that I really, really enjoyed, some things that I felt maybe not necessarily did better than the 1994 film. As a whole, I don't feel like there was much that was better about this film. But there are still some good things that might be worth seeing at least on Blu-ray when it when it releases. So um, let, let's try and get into that. Ben, what was, what was something that you felt was like really praiseworthy about this you film? You know what? I really like Timon and Pumbaa. I really liked... There we go. I liked their characters. I liked most all their jokes. All the jokes, at least in my theater, they landed. They got some big laughs in my theater. And I liked, I mean, just, I think they were great. I think they, I think it was a good example of, like, them tweaking it to where it was different. Like, you, of course, you have, like, them finding him in the desert and the Hakuna Matata, all that kind of stuff. They tweaked it to where it was slightly different, where you noticed it, but it was enough to, like, okay, I get that it's different and it worked. I think their characters worked all right. I think just and also the characterization of like where they lived and all the animals. Like it's not just them hanging out in this one oasis. Like it's like yeah, having them by themselves in that big forest in the previous movie that kind of took me out of it just a little and then, bit. And then you have having... and then you have like all the other animals and like the deer that get scared of Simba <laughs> and like it. There's some good stuff in that in that portion of the film. I liked. Well, like, when, when young Simba is sitting there going, I could eat a whole antelope, and the dude's like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was probably my biggest laugh. Yeah, you, you that, got any antelope? That was oh, rude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then, or when he's, uh, when Simba's introducing Nala after he's lived with them for, like, years, and he's like, this is, this is Nala, she's my best friend, and Timon's like, best friend? Ouch. <laughs> like, that hurt. Friend zoned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, not for long. Jeez, like, they went from best friends to best lovers in about a half hour. Yeah. I was like, I was like, whoa, Nala, I know that you're not getting any action in the Pride Lands, but calm, It was almost girl, like it was overnight. Down. Oh, wait! 
Oh, man. I did really enjoy Timon and Pumbaa, but more so uh, Billy Eichner's portrayal of Timon. And I feel like I might be in the minority of this because my dad my dad feels like um, Nathan Lane had more of like a Brooklyn accent and it was like that that helped carry Timon's character. Yeah. But I, I don't see that. I really don't. I, I actually noticed a lot of similarities between this Timon and, and Nathan Lane's. And... I'm just a fan of Billy Eichner in general because I'm a huge fan of Parks and Rec and I love the the character Craig that Eichner portrays yeah. in that film. So when I was watching uh, Parks and Rec, I was sitting there going, oh, I totally hear this voice turning into a meerkat. Mm-hmm. I can I can totally see this being a meerkat. Seth Rogen, he's no Ernie Sabella. I, I'll put it that way. But you put the two of them together and they actually did feed off of each other rather well. They, they did have pretty good vocal chemistry. And the fact that they actually got to do those parts together, like improving off of each other, I think was a real benefit to the two characters. Because I'm pretty sure Lane and Sabella were in separate rooms and just kind of recorded their stuff and then it got spliced together. And they didn't, they didn't do that with this film. They were, they were clicking, they were vibing, they were going off of each other. And I think it really helped with those characters and then when they had um Glover in there, you know, the three of them doing stuff together, um it just it felt a little bit more natural. It felt like more casual conversation um than than what we had in the previous film. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean it's better, but yeah. it, that that was that was just one of the things that I noticed. I got to say a positive for me is that they really cast this movie well and I remember when they announced the names of the cast I kind of paired the voice actor with the character they'd be portraying and I'm like yeah this this person would do this character really well and sound like this person and I feel like Billy Eichner and Nathan Lane have kind of like that similar range where I could see them playing the the same character and um I thought the same with Seth Rogen he's kind of got that like deep bass voice like a like a gravelly voice he's, he's got a little bit of a gravel to it yeah and I thought that that would have that would be appropriate you know and um so I yeah I thought this movie was really well cast and they did a really good job did I think that the the line deliveries were as good as as they were in the 94 movie not so much but again maybe that's just because i'm i can't help but compare the two you know maybe i should have seen this first but the casting i thought was really spot on well i mean l- l- listen to this like this was this was a, an instagram post that came out like a year or two ago mm-hmm. and it had donald glover as simba beyonce knows caller as nala james earl jones as mufasa chiwetel ejiofor as scar Alfred Woodard as Sarabi, which I'm coming back to that, boys. John Oliver as Zazu, John Canny as Rafiki, Seth Rogen as Pumbaa, Billy Eichner as Timon, Eric Andre as Azizi, Florence Kasumba as Shenzi, Keegan-Michael Key as Kamari, and then you've got the new additions of Young Simba and Young Nala, J.D. McCreary and Sharadi Wright-Joseph. I feel like Sharadi actually did a really good job as Young Nala, mm-hmm. and uh, I felt like Alfred Woodard was an excellent sarabi yeah sarabi had almost no part in the 94 film and the the confidence that alfred woodard exudes in her voice just on a regular basis just emanated from sarabi's character in this film 
And I just kept thinking back to Mariah Stokes from Luke Cage. And I'm sitting here going, oh, my God, it's it's her in lion form. Like that not was not quite as evil, not quite right, as evil, right. but 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 just as confident. Yeah. Yeah. Like if there's if there's any kind of credit I can give to Alfred Woodard, it's that she just exudes confidence in her voice. And that really, really carried over in this movie. Um, Alfred Woodard, James- another character in the MCU that we've seen a couple times playing different characters. Indeed. Also true. Also true. Um, what did you guys make of James Earl Jones coming back? Ben, you can go I ahead. I was honestly not that impressed with his performance. It almost felt like, I mean, obviously he's aged a lot. He's a lot older mm-hmm. now. He's not going to be like as into it and bouncy as he was in the original, but like it felt like he was just bored. Like it really, yeah. it it felt like really withdrawn, and I'm like, I honestly would have rather than just recast him instead of, like, or just use his lines from the original and put them on the new lion. Like, boom! I yeah, boom! Yeah, that would have been perfect. Actually, it would have worked. Yeah. You're... So that that brings up a follow up then. What if they had just done that for the whole film? Oh, kind of like how they do with like the Lego video games, just pull dialogue. Yes, just pull the dialogue of the old movie and put it to newly created scenes. I know that a few things were rewritten, but what if we had just had this entire movie with the execution of the previous cast? I'm not saying that that's a detriment to anything that we just talked about, all of these characters, but it's it's like a speculative thing. What if... Marvel's What If we were talking about at the top of the show. What if we had just had the original cast and everything was sounding almost exactly the same, it just looked different? I I feel a little bit hypocritical saying that I would prefer that because when I was talking earlier, I said that I kind of enjoy the live-action remakes that kind of do something a little different with the story. And they do that here with the dialogue, sure. But... yeah. When you're talking about the comparison game, maybe if I didn't have to compare dialogue, that wouldn't have been a problem. I I hmm. honestly think I think it would have been worse. I think I think you would have been really? I think you would have been I think we all would have been even more in the mode of comparing. If we're hearing the same thing that we're used to, we're seeing something but not, different. But not seeing the I same thing. I think it would have yeah, been even worse. And I think also yeah. it like the ultimate thing with this movie is why is why does it exist? Why are we doing this in the first place? Well, you're trying to create a new version, and if you're going to basically half the movie is still there, like you're just you just have the same dialogue but with a new thing. Like it it makes it even less viable or less of an excuse to even make this movie in the first yeah. place. Yeah, it's 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 harder to justify doing it at all. If you're if you're going to use that same voice, you might as well just do like a 25th anniversary re-release and just put the 94 movie back in the exactly. theaters again. Right. So I yeah. I, and, I and, and I like can... and like overall like I think I think there's more good casting than bad casting in this movie. Um mm-hmm. I just yes. I yes. personally 100%. would have probably picked someone else for I would have gotten 
maybe Jeremy Irons back as as Scarb. I don't know. Maybe that would have been yes. a wrong choice. Um, That's the biggest thing. I, I think this movie would go up like two points just if they got Jeremy Irons to come back. And, I, you know, yeah, redo the lines. That's fine. But just that voice would have been so great. You know who else I would have been okay with? I, I would have been okay with them getting Jim Cummings. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. Jim, Jim Cummings or, or even Corey Burton. You know, people who are legendary voice actors. And, and Cummings was involved in the previous Lion King version. And we know from discussing last week that he knows how to sing the part because he sang Be Prepared, the, the, the final portion, when Irons threw out his voice. And I, I just think that would have been able to help enhance his his charisma like we well, were talking about you know, earlier and this I, I, this I is a this is a suffering that a lot of animated films today have to deal with is the fact that Jim Cummings is Jim Cummings isn't a sellable name for a an animated right. film Chewy Tell Edgy 4 is that that name gets butts in seats most people unfortunately don't know who Jim Cummings is even though he's probably a better actor and just overall has done more stuff than any of these other people. Um, like it, He's it, voiced more of your childhood than Chiwetelaji. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, a sh- it's a shame that's the case, yeah. but they're looking for, they want the, you know, all these names in a row on the trailer. That's what they're looking for. Yeah, and they did that. And it definitely got butts in seats because financially it's had the best July in domestic box office history. There people people wow. like this movie. I've talked to people who like this movie, like think it's great. So, and I'm glad. I'm never the type to go, oh, you know, how could you like that? Like, I'm always happy when I hear someone likes a movie that I don't. But, uh, you know, it is is doing well. I don't know if it'll do as well as Aladdin. Aladdin just broke the billion mark. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, let me take a look. I'm bringing it up on. Uh box office mojo it's domestic total as of uh yesterday is at 275 million dollars oh interesting uh the worldwide is at 728 and a half million so it's it's definitely getting a lot it had uh the number one ranking for opening weekend at almost 192 million released to almost 5,000 theaters um, but from what I read somewhere, uh, the month of July was held by Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part two, I want to say. Hmm. Okay. Back in, geez, when was that? That was 2011. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, where is, where did Lion King go? I'm not seeing it on this list. I might not be looking at the right list. Um, oh, <laughs> Far from home may actually be on top right oh, now. Actually, yeah, it may it may be a fight between Lion King and Far from Home for who wins July twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. But uh, let me see the Deathly Hallows Part Two. No, that doesn't make sense because Dark Knight Rises had a four hundred and forty eight million July. Hmm. I may not have the right numbers, guys. I apologize. <laughs> you know what's funny? We had to wait two years between the original Aladdin and the original Lion King. And for the remakes, you only had to wait two months. <laughs> wow. Okay. While we're making comparisons, did you guys notice the the two connections that are between 
Aladdin and Lion King? I know. don't believe there are there there are. I mentioned one of them when we did our Aladdin review. I don't know if anybody caught it, but I missed the uh, scene with the genie. <laughs> apparently, apparently during the whole new world song, one of the areas that the carpet flies over is the Pride Lands. Whoa! I remember hearing about that. I didn't spot it in the movie, but yeah. I kind of want to go back and watch Aladdin now and try and figure out which part of the Pride Lands they flew over. Was it? I mean, could that, you maybe see Pride Rock in the background, maybe? Yeah. I don't think it was Pride Rock. I think it was either the watering hole or it was the forest that Simba lives in or something like that. Or just like the elephant um, graveyard. <laughs> I mean, it makes yeah, sense when you're making the movie. I mean, it's essentially the same style. I mean, it's realistic animation, and like they could just put yeah. it in there, like port it over. Because um, like yeah. all this was digital sets, like there's nothing in here that's, that's real, right? And they were working on both of these movies at the same time, so having that kind of crossover isn't entirely out of the question. No. But here's the other thing: I dare say that Disney is the only company in the world that can figure out a way to include in two movies. Two blockbuster summer flicks in one year for both of them to include the word genuflect in their script. What? what? Didn't even notice that. Yeah, because in the Prince Ali song, they tell you to show some respect. Boy genuflect down on one knee. That's what when Zazu. When Zazu approaches Scar at the beginning of the movie, he's like, The king approaches. When he arrives, you shall stand and genuflect. I have never heard that word in my life. Neither have I. That's brand new word. Genuflect is a verb meaning to lower one's body briefly by bending one knee to the ground, typically in worship or as a sign of respect. Wow. So in the Aladdin song... He's saying genuflect down on one knee. He's basically just telling you what genuflect means. <laughs> he's he's telling you what it is, and he's telling you to bow before Prince Ali. <laughs> and Zazu was telling Scar to bow before Mufasa when he arrives. That's fascinating. Wow. That's crazy. So somehow, I don't know if the writers collaborated on that or not, but I just find it interesting that the word genuflect gets used not once, but twice this summer by the same company, both doing live action remakes. Like, it's just, it's really odd and zany that that even happens. But yeah, the word genuflect is in both of those films. (laughs) That's amazing. Wow, it's really wow. weird. I'm gonna really have to weird. use that now. I'm 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 a I'm a somehow worked that into conversation. I, I learned a new word today. My vocabulary I'm, has been expanded. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Any other praises to dish out for this film? Things that really kind of stood out to us that we that we really feel like needs mentioning. The end credits were nice. <laughs> okay, I'm act- I know you're joking. I know you're joking, but <laughs> did you guys catch the little subtlety that they threw in there during the end credit song? Nope. 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 No. We, nope. Me and Jake lit, missed everything. <laughs> so I stuck around mostly because I wanted to hear what they would play, see if Elton John would come back or anything like that. He didn't. But um, what they did do was during the the big long credits not the one where you're introducing like the individual cast members or whatever but during the the cast and crew credits they played 
a a song that just sounded familiar, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. After watching it a second time, I realized what it was. It was a Swahili version of the opening song from The Lion King 2, They Live in You. Really? Huh. They live in you, Hela and Mamela. Wait. Into the waters. Oh, no. Like, Are you telling me that that's kind of like a little hint that they're doing a second one? That's my thought. That's where the, Forehead they're, smack. They're going to run out of animated films to turn into live action at some point, and they're going to turn to the sequels. I, it's entirely possible. Now, like people keep it talking is... about the Return of Jafar. I am on board for the Aladdin sequel. I don't know about yeah, Aladdin. I'm really okay with that. I'm not sure that. about Lion King. I'm really okay with that. But there, that that is the that is the implication that I got from it. I'll play it for you guys after the show. I actually recorded it when I realized what it was. But it's it's all it, it it's basically the "He Lives in You, They Live in You" song from The Lion King two, but all sung in Swahili wow. or Zulu. I I couldn't distinguish which one it was. That's interesting. But it's it's one of those it's one of those African languages. And it's in, it's entirely in that language, but I recognize the beat and I recognize the 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 hey Mamela interlude that they did. It is that opening song from Lion King two, which makes me think they could end up trying to make a sequel out of this. They got all the assets there. They've built all this you know CGI world. They can keep using it. Well, you've got yeah. my down vote, and I that man watching this movie. I just kept thinking, I wish I didn't spend money on this because <laughs> I, f- I felt like I was just helping Disney realize or re- helping Disney think that I was somebody that wanted to see this movie or enjoyed the movie or whatever. And I, I wish I could have gotten it another way. But yeah, this is the first time in a while I've felt this way about a Disney movie. Uh, the last time I felt robbed by Disney was Pirates of the Caribbean 5. Oh, you have... Yep, I'm right there with you, man. It's funny. I That that movie, that movie, I walked out of the theater. That was the one time in 2017 I walked out of the theater, like, feeling wholly satisfied. Really? <laughs> really? Wow. I really enjoyed that movie on the first <laughs> go-around. I really did. All the other movies, I'm like, I'm not oh. sure about that. I walked out of Star Wars. I'm not sure about that. I walked out of Pirates 5. I'm like, that was great. I was I'm, the I'm only jealous, person man. on the face of the planet that did that, though. I I never resent anybody that has a good time with a movie that I thought was terrible because I wish I had your experience. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm that way with, with The Last Jedi. Like, I I wish I could say that the movie was what helped me have a great time, but it was really the fact that I was watching it with 15 other people that I knew. Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of experience. I came really close to actually getting a sold-out theater. Yeah, that, that's like, always I was fun. Looking in, I was looking into the cost of just buying out a theater that had about 50 seats and letting, like, family and friends come and, and like, watch it to, to celebrate with me because I was uh, graduating college at the time. And uh, I didn't quite get enough people on board for that, so I just bought individual tickets instead. But we still had about a quarter of the theater bought out, which was really, really fun. Dang. Um, But I don't know. I think think we're pretty much ready to go into final thoughts, aren't we? I think so. 
Uh, do you guys mind if I lead off? Absolutely. Sure. Uh, fi- final thoughts and uh, and planet score for the 2019 version of The Lion King. I, I want to say, first and foremost, that I saw it in 3D last night, which actually was probably one of the better 3D experiences I've ever had. Hmm. There, there are some movies that it feels kind of shoehorned in there and it really only helps improve like the depth of field and things like that. But I can't help but feeling that because this is completely CGI that they included 3D elements in their creation process. And so it was actually maybe designed to be seen in 3D. And I really liked it. I I liked it that way. And I usually don't because the shade on those 3D glasses makes everything feel a little bit darker. True. But it didn't really feel that way because there aren't a whole lot of night sequences in this film, including Can You Feel the Love Tonight? But because everything is pretty much exposed in the daylight, it really didn't hurt my viewing experience all that much. And so uh, seeing it like that was, was actually pretty fun. I actually really enjoyed that. And I think the other thing that I really enjoyed, and I know that this is something that you're still struggling with Jake but this this is something that I've I don't know if I had to force myself to embrace it but I just I really really have to appreciate how far CGI has come in the last decade yeah I I really have to take a look at the way movies were were animated and and digitally enhanced even as far back as 2009 and look at how far they've come now I mean you, you made a joke on social media about it being National Geographic's The Lion King but the fact that it almost looks National Geographic quality is a testament to the animators of this film. These guys put in literally years of time and effort because they started on this almost immediately after Jungle Book released. Mm-hmm. So they started this production back in 2016 and have been working on it for almost three years. And the environment, the creatures, their walking movements, the individual hairs on their head the broad scope the the looking at everything from what's in the foreground to the forested trees in the background the fact that they used vr to capture the the elements and put the actors and the producers in the pride lands themselves uh in a virtual reality world so that they had an idea of what they were going to be presenting on the screen i really feel like if they're doing that for the behind the scenes stuff then there's a chance that we're getting closer to vr movies yeah where you where you put on a VR headset and instead of just watching the screen, you're looking around and you're interfacing with everything that's going on, and that excites me as well. Yep. So I mean, this this was a grand undertaking, and even though the lions didn't show the emotion that I wanted them to, which is a grave disappointment because it's called the Lion King, you know, the lions are the ones that you're paying the most attention to, so you really should get a little bit more emotion out of them. Even with that, there were a lot of really other fantastic elements to this film that it's groundbreaking as far as graphics are concerned. And while the graphics are pretty much like a 9 or 10 out of 10 for me, the the writing, the scripting, the execution of that script was probably closer to a 6 out of 10. Mm-hmm. It, it just it didn't, it didn't hit home. It didn't resonate with my nostalgia the way that I hoped it would. And I'm actually getting to understand where our our friend Dan Grievous and other people like him are coming from is 
if this is the sum of the product that you're looking for, then why remake it at all? Right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really starting to understand that argument a little bit better, but I also feel like the expectations are so high that when we put those kinds of expectations on it, the movie ends up being a disappointment, no matter how good the quality is. Mm hmm. Because it's never going to be a 10 out of 10. There are very few movies out there. The The 1994 Lion King is the first and only time in 248 episodes of IPC that we have ever gotten 10 out of 10 ratings from everybody. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. It is extremely rare. And it was rare to find in this film as well. The opening sequence was a 10 out of 10. A lot of the CGI, to me, was a 10 out of 10. But the lack of emotion that you get, the butchering of Scars Be Prepared, mm -hmm. the, the, the mostly poor execution of the script from the characters, it ends up making things backtrack. And I'm sad to say that this movie wasn't an 11 out of 10. But I think that's what a lot of 90s kids went into this movie expecting it to be. They're like, oh, wow, if this movie from from our childhood was a, a 10 out of 10, then this movie has to be better. It has to be 11 out of 10. And it just wasn't. Yeah. It, the, the fact is it was not. And that while it's unfortunate, it's also not surprising. And so if I'm averaging things out, and I feel like the, the CGI and the graphics and, and the, the world building was closer to a 10 out of 10, but the writing and the scripting and the characterization was maybe more like a 6 out of 10. I've got to try and find a happy medium, and the best one I can come up with is an 8.0. I know, it, that's probably high compared to what you guys are going to give it, but that that that's the that's the best middle ground that I can come up with. It's not a 10 out of 10. It's not even an 8.5 out of 10. I can't quite bring myself to bring it into the sevens range because I just appreciate the graphics and the effort too much. So eight is probably like the, the best middle ground that I can come up with. Fair enough. Jake. Yeah. I mean, you and me, I think had have similar thoughts on this. I feel like they, they had a really great voice cast, you know, it's the same story again. Little changes here and there, but for the most part, a shot-for-shot shot remake. I just thought that even with all the talent behind it, and even though the intentions were good, I feel like the execution just fell a little flat for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just feel like it oh, overall felt a little unnecessary and just kind of like a cash grab. And I know every movie's a cash grab, but this felt like a, a cash grab, cash grab. And I don't know. I, I've i been thinking about what my planet score would be. And I can really, can't really give it higher than like a, a seven. So I guess, I don't know. I guess like a 6.5 is kind of where I'm settling, where I feel like the best. Um you know, it just felt kind of flat. It wasn't terrible. It's not like the story was bad or anything. 
it was just not done as well as its predecessor and uh there were a lot of elements of the movie that could have been done better or executed better um but yeah overall it just kind of felt like a a weak imitation um but like i said i i have to respect the the attempt you know and i have to respect the the fact that this was kind of an experiment to see how far can we push this type of cg which is very impressive you know as as much as i couldn't really wrap my mind around this is real i had to admit it looked real you know it looked very real and the 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 graphics just keep getting better and better in movies nowadays and john favreau really has been kind of like the hell at the helm of like the realistic um you know wildlife cgi you know like we saw before in the jungle book and stuff and i thought that that was pretty impressive and obviously this is just even further along down the line so i'm interested to see where we'll be you know five or ten years from now and uh yeah this is just like an i think it's it was an unnecessary movie story-wise but i think or not story-wise but it was just an unnecessary movie like on that level but i think it was a necessary movie in the progression of the medium and you know for that i can definitely respect it but yeah for me six six point five is probably what i'm going to give it i can't see myself watching this again voluntarily um i'll always probably go back to the the 94 version yeah yeah for me it's 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 a it's a big old miss mixed bag it really is it's there's a lot i mean like first off like my biggest takeaway is the animation is superb. I mean, this is some of the... Mm-hmm. I think this is arguably some of the best CGI we've ever seen in a film. And those some of the best, like, most realistic-looking fake CGI characters ever put to screen. And it this film deserves all the credit for that. And it really it nails it. And it, it I believed it. If you told me yeah. that they somehow like film real lines and you know CGI their mouths opening and closing like I would have believed you because I fully bought into these lions and these characters um but that doesn't take away from the fact that I think the, the animation of the lions faces was really weird I think it's maybe too <sighs> realistic it's not at all ju- it's just there's no acting it's just like people talking i'd almost preferred it if they had just done like a what was it um like like milo no like milo and otis remember that remember oh yeah remember like they just voiced over dude it took them so long to make that movie (laughs) (laughs) they used so many iterations of that cat and that dog because the animal died during production i know i've heard that it's messed up (laughs) oh jeez but like I'd almost preferred that. Like, just it, it's just it's really like it, it's it's really weird to praise the animation, but also simultaneously criticize it in that way. Um, with the characters, I think they're all really well done. I think the most of the vocal performances are really good. I liked Timon and Pumbaa. I, I liked Simba. I liked all the characters, but like most of them are pretty much the same. Like it's almost like hard to critique them because. They are so close to the original, except they're just higher high def now. Um, there is a lot of 
good stuff that's added, and there's also a lot of stuff that just left me scratching my head, like the dung beetle scene, like just several things, like I didn't even get a ta- chance to talk about Be prepared. Like, the whole subplot with Scar talking to uh, Sarabi. Sarabi, yeah, and talking to her like, oh yeah, well, you, you need to be my queen now, all this kind of stuff, you chose... Mufasa over me way back in the day and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, wow, do we really need to get into that? Um, but they went there and just stuff like that. It just it is really all over the place. And for that, all that is to say, I think I'm gonna kind of divide the difference between you guys. I'm gonna give it a seven, a solid seven. Um, I think this movie has a lot going for it, but it's just it's. It really is. It's all over the place in regards to just the execution and trying to get into it. And I, I, I like you, Jake. I, I don't see myself revisiting this one willingly. Yeah, I can see myself getting like the DVD of it just so that I've got it in my collection. But I don't know. I again, like I said, I saw it in 3D, and I feel like it's meant to be seen in 3D. So I, you know, if if you're drunk enough, maybe go see it in 3D sometime. <laughs> Because oh, I, I actually, I actually did enjoy it in in 3D, and there there are some things about it that are pretty groundbreaking, and so I, I'm I'm not entirely disappointed, but I'm not entirely satisfied either. It's just, it's like I don't even know how to compare it. I don't really have anything to compare it to. Usually, I've got some pretty quick, witty comparison to come up with, but I just it's it's not there tonight. It's hard to it's hard to put so. into words exactly how you feel about this movie because it is so all over the place. Yeah, it really is. Uh, speaking of all over the place, we're going to go to one particular place and uh, let them do the talking for a minute. Uh, there's not a whole lot of quotes to pull from this movie yet because they they've only been out. It's only been out for like what a week, uh, eight days or something Pretty like much. that. Yeah. But the the bowling for buzzards is something that's out there, and uh, it's it's classic, uh, you know, reminder of some of the stuff from '94, and it's also like a good introduction of Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen. So uh, we're gonna give that to you guys now as we get ready to close out the evening, uh, as always, uh, do, as we do on the show. Except for last week, we didn't do one last week, but for the most part, we're gonna bring it back with tonight's quote of the night. of those vultures one day. I'm gonna get one. I don't know why it's so important to you. I just feel like it would make me feel better. <gasps> oh no, it's a little lion. That is not a lion. Well then go check it out. What is that it? That is not a lion. It's a furry bird. It looks like a lion. Yeah, that's not a lion. Let me get a closer look. Excuse me. Oh, all right, let me see what we're dealing with here. It's a lion! Run for your life, Wait, Boomer! Wait, 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 wait! It's a little lion! It gets bigger! Can we keep him? Can we please keep him? Oh, oh, okay. Uh, I promise. I'll walk him every day. If he makes a little mess, I'll clean it up. You'll I'll be his little mess. He's gonna eat you and then use my body as a toothpick. But one day, when he's big and strong, he'll be on our side. I've got it. What if he's on our side? Hear me out! Having a ferocious lion around might not be such a bad idea. Well, then, can we keep him? Yes, of course we can keep him. Well, My God, who is the brains of this operation? We're gonna name him Fred. I really do like that scene. I do like that. I like that rendition of the scene. I, it, it cracked me up. I, it's, actually, it's actually, of course, it's the clip that was released. And uh, it actually got me excited for the movie. And uh, 
then it, then it went downhill from there. But anyway, let's not gonna get into that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> probably 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 should avoid that. Again, Billy Eichner to me was one of the one of the better highlights because we didn't even talk about how he did be our guest instead of a hula dance. <laughs> Which got a lot of really positive responses yeah. in yeah. my theater. I was not suspecting it at all, and it made me laugh really, really hard. Uh, be, D- Disney being self-referential never gets old. It's just that that is classic. Um, we got one more classic element for the night before we close things out. It's kind of been a little bit of a quick closing down. We uh, went a little later than we thought we would, but uh, we got a 9 out of 10 in the chat, and then I think we got a 7 out of 10 from Steven Schinder uh, over on our podcast Facebook page. You can find our Facebook page at, uh, you know, just searching IPC Podcast or Intergalactic Peace Coalition. You can also find us at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can listen to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, CastBox, StarWarsUnderworld.com, and our hosting site, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. Pod as in podcast, bean as in green bean, ipcpodcast.podbean.com. If you're interested in becoming a patron like Jake is, which I don't even know if that's a conflict of interest. It probably is. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can also find that at ipcpodcast.podbean.com. A special thank you. Two people like Jake and Joey, Rachel, Dan Grievous, Parker Ott. You guys help keep us afloat. We could not do what we do without you. Um, If you're interested in helping keep this show afloat, please, please, please go check that out. We're looking at trying to find ways to help, like, uh, pay for our movie stubs with IPC and things like that. So if you want to help uh, us go to the movies so that we can keep reviewing stuff, uh, please go check that out. Uh, let me see, let me see, let me see. I think I'm only missing one more thing, and that would be our special element that we use to close out the night. It's actually going to be pretty interesting, but it's also going to be pretty condensed. So, folks, get out your hashtags, because one more time around this evening, as we do every week, it's time for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 So you've heard of, like, loot boxes. You've heard of man crates. Our friend and patron Joey May sent this to us from about a week or two ago. Apparently, on Amazon, you can now get something that is called a barbecue box. What? Which is really kind of interesting. It comes with rubs and sauces and spices and even, like, special coals that you can get to put on your charcoal grill and stuff. And it's basically a, a thing for Prime members that you can get for like 25 to 35 bucks, something like that. It has hand-selected wood chips or planks, a rubber spice, a sauce or marinade, and a specialized recipe that works perfectly with the overall contents of the box. You'll also receive a tasty snack to munch on while you're hovering over the grill, trying not to peek at what's happening under the lid. You can expect small batch sauces and rubs that are hard to find anywhere else, and you don't even have to leave your house. Wow. I love the fact that I've subscribed to, like, the Funko Smuggler's Bounty Box, and I know there's other, like, geeky boxes that they've come across. 
and this one being solely barbecue and just getting, you know, if you're a connoisseur of this stuff, if you're if you're a big griller or you happen to run a restaurant that serves barbecue, like this is really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. I would love I would love to like that... talk to someone who's had it or like go over the contest. We might have to come to come back to this. We have a bit more time to kind of see like what exactly is in these boxes and like what you get. You know what? I'm a prime member. I'm a prime member. I might just buy one for the heck of it and do like an open box live on the show <laughs> sometime or something. That would be I would love that. Like like I think I think an unboxing is definitely in order. So that's something that you guys can look forward to. Also, my sister just recently got back from a trip to South Carolina to visit her boyfriend's Ooh. family. And uh South Carolina barbecue is very different. It very, is very oh, very yeah. different. Oh yeah, it's weird, man. It's weird. And, it's good. Uh, it's weird. So I have also I've also reached out to her to see about interviewing her for her opinions on Carolina style barbecue versus Texas nice. barbecue. So there's definitely some stuff on the horizon as far as barbecue watch is concerned. Stuff is kind of condensed tonight because we're crunched for time, but we will be following up on this uh, on this this barbecue box because I'm really really intrigued by this. So I'm gonna look into that and uh, try and follow up with you guys in the next couple of weeks. But we're almost done with this week's episode. Uh, quick plugs for all of us. Jake, where can the folks at home find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Jake W. Damon, or you can find me on Twitter at Jake Damon. Yeah, because that W just isn't going to go away anytime soon. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all about social media branding. Ben, what's your brand and where can folks you find can you? You can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Ben Hart with no E, exactly how it sounds. And you can find pretty much everything I do, including this podcast, on StarWarsUnderworld.com. And for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Zach, Z-A-C underscore D-F-W. And I've also got a Twitter page called Zach the Voice, Z-A-C-H the Voice, all one word. Uh, no hyphenations, no underscores, no periods, nothing. Just find Zach the Voice and you can find out all about my broadcasting ventures that are outside of IPC. I'm about to start a uh, sports-related broadcast for a local high school football team in this uh, this fall. So uh, about a month from now, I'm going to be kicking things off for that. So uh, if you're interested, go find me there as well. But I think that's going to do it for tonight's episode of the IPC Podcast. We got uh, a 7 from Ben, a 6.5 from Jake, and an 8 from me. Uh, our friend George sent a nine and our friend Steven sent a seven. So yeah, kind of a mixed bag all over the place for this review of the 2019 Lion King. But, uh, that's definitely a, a very interesting perspective to have. Thank you to everyone who participated in tonight's episode. Thank you for tuning in. If you listen live and thank you for tuning in. If you're listening through one of our many, uh, post options, I don't know what to call it. Just post host. I don't even know. <laughs> I'm running out of ideas. It's getting it's late, late, guys. It's getting really late. <laughs> it really is. So before I just go off the rails on a crazy train, uh, which, by the way, I'm really mad. We were talking about Polar Express earlier. Why didn't they use Ozzy Osbourne's crazy train at any point during that movie? <laughs> That's a huge I missed don't, opportunity. I just don't know. I just don't know. I don't know. Why don't they bring me on as creative consultants? Probably because I ramble on like this. Episode 248 is now in the books for Jake Damon and Ben Hart. I'm Zach Arnold, officially signing off. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope that you'll tune in next week. But until that time comes around, we just want to remind you of this closing thought. To seek something is to believe in its possibility. <laughs> <laughs>
and we believe that we'll see you next week right here on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone.
this early evening. It is way.